All right. Vigilante Wiz here in the 25th episode of the Culture Crime Fires. And we're joined, not just with my man, Matt from Fireball Production, as always, but the man, the myth, the legend himself. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm hanging in there, at least as much as I, as much as one can uh, uh, these days. Well, thanks for joining us, brother. Yeah, man. Thanks yes, for having really us. Really appreciate it. Are you uh, are you in New York? No, I'm actually in Atlanta. Um, Atlanta. I, uh, I I'm not welcome in New York for various reasons, um, <laughs> and uh, um, also the city, uh, the city as I know it is, it, it's just it's just no more. I'm working on a um, on a writing something up about that about what what about what the city used to be and um, what it used to mean to live there. I feel like the biggest it's it's really disappointing to watch because the, the the things that would draw any person to that city, I feel like, are sort of um, they're confined to a very narrow um, spectrum of uh, of New York or or of the world. Yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty much. Yeah. You know, but it's but the just the world is flat now. That's it. That's it. The world is flat now, as they say. It has to have impacted a city like New York, where at one point that was the only place to go, or New York or L.A to go somewhere and now it's like, well, you, you know, you can be anywhere and get access to a lot of, lot more things than you could in the past. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's just one of those cities where you could get out, you can get out at, uh, or get up at one in the morning or something and, and get on a train and something's going to be happening mm-hmm. somewhere with people that, that, you know, or you don't, but you still want to go. There's a sense of adventure, a sense of freedom. Mm. Um, you know, just a sense of, of, Life it it invites in kind of it invites a kind of joie de vivre uh, that doesn't really exist in other cities and um, mm-hmm. it's just I, I just see no reason to move back there right now and it's really it's really a shame. Interesting. Really a shame. That's very interesting, Clifton. I'd like to hear uh, a bunch about that. However, as we were saying, you know, we're uh, we're we're new to this. You know, all of us. It's uh, been a year for me in vigilante, and we're trying to just get better and get more professional. So in that vein. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience, just in case they're not familiar with who you are yeah. and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, my name is Clifton Duncan. I'm uh, what's known as a classically trained actor, which is which means that I studied and read all the old plays and learned how to do Shakespeare and that kind of a thing. Um, I reached, or at least I was reaching, a, a point of decent success in the theater uh, realm in New York City, um, starring off-Broadway and on-Broadway. And... Um, I began to break my way into television and then the world kind of stopped. And um, there were a lot of things that were happening in 2020 and um, it just became more and more difficult for me to shut up about them and and uh, if not impossible. And I just began speaking up on Twitter and then I ended up going on a bunch of really cool podcasts. And now I've, I've become uh, uh, sort of a, a voice of influence for better or for worse. And it's very interesting, uh, but um, I'm happy to meet you all and I'm glad to yeah. be. Um, Glad to be in this space because I think this is. Um, I, I really think that there are a lot of people in the industry that are that are that are insulated or they're or they're afraid to kind of travel in this in this realm. And I'm like, well, this is. This realm is where the people are and where they're going increasingly. You know, this is your audience speaking to you directly, and you, you can. You, there, there's so many opportunities and avenues here, but the, I, I think there's just this huge. The word capture has been used a lot recently. I mean, mm-hmm. people aren't there. There's just this one sort of way of seeing things, and um, mm. and um, it's sort of insulated from 
it's the, the industry kind of seems insulated in a, in a weird way from the consequences of, of its, of its actions. And I'm like, no, no, like the people are here. They're talking, they're talking to you. They're telling you what you, what, what they want. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you're not you're you're deliberately not giving them to them in some cases. And additionally, their followings, uh, the, pe the people who are talking, the followings of those people are growing and they're becoming more and more informed on yeah. the nature of this content, why a lot of it is so divisive, why a lot of why people don't enjoy it. They're becoming unified in that uh, rejection uh, and it's becoming a, a much more potent and powerful counter uh, I mean, even just place to go watch something, but I think almost counter yeah. voice or counter culture. And I think um, the more they underestimate that, I think the the less of a chance they have of actually long term succeeding, because it's like you see what's going on right now with like the the Kevin Smith thing with the um, yeah. e man. I think mm -hmm. that's that one. I don't think they understood how much of a negative uh, repercussion they were going to get out of it. And I think a lot of it has to do with the people here on YouTube and on the internet in general, just having more like collective, uh, fellowships to borrow a Gary term. Yeah. Uh, to I still say community, community but that's, that's kind of a borrowed term anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, to kind of piggyback off that point with Kevin Smith. And I think this is the more interesting thing is, uh, we're seeing you like the, the, in, the emperor has no clothes sort of thing or the insulation of criticism or the insulation that there could possibly be a legit counter where you, you hear that the Netflix people didn't even really care about the backlash or, or they, or they called it a review bombing. Like they figure a way to make it like it's not real and only um, that insulated almost bubble. Like oh, this is real. Even when there are metrics uh, a lot of times to show otherwise, um, but I, I have a, another thought. It, I think part of it is just the evolution of technology and entertainment and celebrity in general. I mean, you yourself, you said you're a classically trained actor and even you're you're dipping your toes in the content creation realm. Yeah, um, well, you know, I, I think I mean, the, the, there's a few things to respond to there. Um, we were talking just before we got on got on air. And, and this is something I've been thinking about for a long time is that I mean, I think the era of the movie star has been over for a long time. And oftentimes yeah. when you go to the movies, the franchise itself is the star and not necessarily. Um, I, mean, I think there's a certain cutoff generation of, of people that, um, you know, oh, like like when I was younger, it was like, oh, we're going to go see the new Will Smith movie. Oh, we're going to go see the new Denzel Washington movie. We're going to go see yeah, the yeah, new Tom yeah. Cruise movie. And now it's like, we're going to go see the Avengers. We're going to go see Lord of the Rings. We're going to go. And um, I think that there is a there's a failure to respond to the what I think is the reality that um, fame such as it was stardom, such as we, such as what we used to think of it as, they don't mean the same things anymore. And um, you you can be you can you know if you're a reasonably attractive looking woman, you can strap on some leggings and film yourself <laughs> doing squats um, in front of a mirror, and you can and you can get a as big a following, if not more, than a Michael B. Jordan. And yes. that's the, actually one of our alternate intros. Yeah. Me saying the same thing. Oh, yeah. Funny. Well, you I know, mean, like, you know, it's like comedians that have been working at it their whole lives, you know, like 50,000 followers. You know what I mean? It's, it's a fraction compared to a girl who, you know, picked it up six months ago. It's it's very different. Well, what I was also going to going to add to all of that is that um, there's a reason that things are so are so insulated now. And I've been thinking about this as well. There's just, there's this great essay 
um, that was written in 1946 by this guy named Albert Maltz, and um, and it's called "What Shall We Ask of Actor of uh, Excuse Me of Writers," and he this is a this is a very you know not to get <laughs> super political, but this is a very left wing writer who is criticizing what he views as left wing literature and and drama, and he's talking about using art as a weapon. How these people that are making the, and producing the art view art as a as a weapon a weapon in terms of um, of uh, like a political weapon essentially. And in the forties, this, this is, is not this is nineteen forty six. He wrote this, and wow. and and what he touches on as well is something I've been thinking for a long time, which is that people I think in the industry they're making content or they're 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 producing material that's meant to appeal to their peers and their colleagues, not the audience as a whole. And um, even as actors, even as a classically trained one who did lots of theater, you know, you come up and you're and you're told, well, you know, you're supposed to, there's a lot of paradoxes in what we do. Like you're told, well, our job as actors is to serve, <clears throat> serve the writer. And I've come back around and think like, no, actually I think our job is to collaborate with the writer and the director and the producers and all the various uh, other people involved. Our goal is to serve the audience. And I feel like that's kind of been lost. And I feel like um, in many ways, this, this kind of touches back into what we've been talking about, which is this in this era now where there's so much access, there's so much technology that um, now this is what I was saying before we came on air is that uh, the quote unquote normies, the ordinary people are actually f as much, if not more interesting than these supposed movie stars that we're supposed to fawn over. And we can see that now because we have access to both. Mm -hmm. And um so it's just weird that there's never been more access to what um, to understanding what people want, but uh, but also a, a never bigger desire it seems to run away from <laughs> to run away from those very things that people want. It's very it's very strange. But what's happening is that people are making uh, just to go back to what I was saying is people are making content, they're making movies, they're making TV shows to appeal to themselves and not to the the wider audience. And I think they have a very skewed understanding of what. Um, of of who their audience even is and what they want, and just to go back to the Kevin Smith thing, I know I'm talking a lot, but um, mm. I mean, I think I think the He Man, uh, I won't say debacle. I mean, we, you know, it's only the first half of the series that's out, but the the response to that and the way that that property's been treated, um, you know, by those that make it, it's we're in an era where now the the audiences are are becoming, if not are already smarter than the people that are making the content that we're supposed to ingest. And <laughs> I think they're mad at us for that. But yeah, yeah, um, I would say we are, there are some smarter. Like if you look at some of the critics, like the, the critical drinkers of the world or the yeah, mallers right. who can yeah, break right. down this stuff to the molecule and, and come up with better things than the writers can. But, uh, but also being right. ahead of it, like it's it's like I was listening to uh, the, the real BBC uh, yesterday is with uh, as and, and Gary from Nerdrotic and Mahler happened to be there and Critical Drinker. They think they all happen to be there. Yeah. And um, that was something as said and about like it's almost like we know exactly where you're going to go with it before you even do it, because, you know, we pay attention to this stuff like we are genuinely fans and we really do care. And then like when they think that they're like, oh, you know, this is that clever thing. It's like, no, you don't. First of all. You got that playbook from someone else. And it's like we've seen that playbook play out in, in our video games, in our movies. And we are really paying attention to this stuff. And you think you're so clever and, and we're ahead of you. And it's it's like it's this whole thing where they can't. That's not how it's supposed to be. 
They're supposed to be in charge. They're supposed to be, you know, calling the plays, running the show. And when it's like, that's not the way it's going. I think it's really throwing a monkey wrench into the whole, the whole system. Well, there's also this element of, um, again, it, it kind of is underneath um, the umbrella of this anti-audience attitude is that understanding that people who are fans of things are fans because they love those things. And I think fans, fandoms are open to, they're open to change and they're open to doing like new things if the, if the, if the property in question, the franchise in question is treated with respect. I, I think that yeah. people, I think that, I don't, I don't think there's any He-Man fans out there. I say this as someone who used to watch the show when I was little. Um, I've shed tears over He-Man. Hmm. Um, but right. I don't think anybody would be averse to watching a story about about Tila as long as it was made human and did not respect Adam, uh, disrespect Adam and the He-Man character. I think a lot of people would have been like, oh, cool, let's see, let's see Tila rise up and see how she deals with um, deals with adversity if 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 Adam is somehow sidelined. You know, I think people people want to see stories that are rooted in in deep, dare I say, classic human motivations. And I've been reading about these kinds of things a lot. I mean, I'm reading um, a lot of Aristotle lately, and okay. uh, he has a book called uh, called The Poetics. And in The Poetics, it's his treatise to try and just define, uh, at least you know, in ancient Greek terms, um, just various genres of drama and you know he calls it he calls the playwrights poets you know he, he talks about trage trage uh, tragedians and comedians and just these basic classic tenets where if, if you're telling a tragedy the people in that tragedy are generally are better than we are as, as human beings if you're talking about a comedy you're making a comedy the people tend to be worse people than we are as human beings <laughs> there's something that is that is just that even even the Greeks had figured out a long time ago, you know, dead white men they may be. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know how, how white you, we want to, we want to get here, but they had <laughs> they had something to say, and, and they 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 were able to grasp a lot of things back at a time when they were when they were actually able to tell the truth yeah. um, in many ways. And um, you know, there's just a the, the focus on just on eliciting feelings from an audience and, and crafting a story in order to get a response from the audience. It's, it's very audience focused. And I yeah. feel like if you approach properties like He-Man from an audience first perspective and you observe good rules of storytelling, then, they, then they'll accept just about anything you throw at them. Just respect yeah. the property and respect the craft. And that's all yeah. that's all people want. And and when they're telling you, like you said before, when they're telling you that they don't like it, don't call them racists and Nazis. <laughs> Maybe listen to what they're saying. It's, it makes me so sick. I see it over and over again. Yeah, I mean, if they don't like it, they're right. You made it for the yeah. audience. Now, it may be a smaller contingent. It may not be. But it's like your idea is to satisfy a large, the largest chunk of the audience as possible. I mean, that's the goal, right? I mean, we're making entertainment. So it's like if your audience is collectively or a large group of them are collectively saying, uh, you know, I don't like this. This isn't for me. This isn't what I what I respect about it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think I don't think you have to just be like, well, yes, okay, if they say it. But I think you should listen to what they're saying. And if they have a point, like, I, I think it's such a bigger problem, though, because it's not just it. That's implied. Like, you're an actor. I was I was an actor for for about 15 years. I, I spent some time in New York and some time in L.A. And it's like. Ultimately, like, you know, w I always wanted to have like, you know, I always wanted you did great. Like, I always want compliments and praise. Like, you did very well. You know, you nailed it. Like, it told the story. Like, you know, it was moving. It was doing the thing. Right. Like, I wanted that. But I wanted it from 
the audience. Like I wanted the audience to, you know, ha have been entertained and enjoyed what I put out there. Like that was intrinsic. So it, it's like this whole thing that if I put out a performance, if I did something and then, you know, eight of the 10 people or 50% of the people were just like, that's not even close to what I was hoping this was going to be. The idea to attack them is insanity to me. Yeah. Real quick before we keep going, I have to say this because the benefactor of the culture crime fires and the show, Ogre Squasher 101 tipped $101.71. Holy smokes, man. Uh, thank you again. I can't believe you do this as often as you do. Thank you for the incredible super chat. Thank you to the chat. I know we just started in the conversation. Uh, you guys are, are killing it in the chat. I, I'm noticing a lot of what you're saying. Actually, it, there's one point I, I saw. And shout out to Rough Girl. She's one of the newer yeah, hell. people to the channel. And where the hell is the... You guys are not going crazy because of Ogre Squasher. Yeah, and also, thank though, you. to that Ogre Squasher thing, I wanted to say, uh, once again, Ogre Squasher, thank you very much for your spectacularly generous uh, charity comp contribution on Friday, where you donated $1,000 to my friend's uh, GoFundMe for her health issues. Thank you so much. Uh, she was incredibly grateful. I transferred all the money uh, just, just yesterday. In fact, from all from everyone's uh, contributions last week, uh, and and the extra one from from the unbelievable ogre squasher. So, yeah. want to just formally say thank you. Now that I, I know you're here, and uh, you guys are incredible. Yes, thank you, ogre squasher. Thank you, anyone who contributed last week when we actually had neurotic on and it yeah. all aligned. To I think have we did we meet her goal? Oh uh, yeah, we Are did. We, yep, cool. We surpassed it even. Awesome, 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 yeah. awesome, awesome. That's dope. That's dope. So this this message is to me an interesting one um, because I I know uh, in general you, you brought up well I'm saying too many things at once you had said something about um, storytelling as well because there's there's a woke thing there's a indoctrination whatever you want to call it and then there's just a lack of basic writing for the human condition rough girl who I'm assuming is a girl I don't want to assume your gender but how <laughs> says Hollywood keeps saying they're for women. But they're making all the men or uh, the women look like men or biatches. And I mean, I I've talked about they don't even make chick flicks anymore. Uh, like they don't, they don't they don't produce them. Yet we have uh, Macho Man, Abby Savage. We have uh, Tila <laughs> hopping on the Anavar or, or whatever. And, and we have all these, you know, really uber masculine uh, females. And, and these really bitchy masculine females. I've talked about like you. I can't remember the last time I saw a, a black woman that was in shape and happy on television. It's always a three hundred pound angry black woman, and it, that, that's frustrating to me personally. Not always, but you just see that so often. Though, it also comes yeah. with like a self righteousness too. It's it's a kind of a character where you just kind of keep it arm's length because it's it's intense. Yeah, and so I. I I'm not sure what I'm necessarily. I, I guess it's like they're not necessarily even hitting the thing they're trying to do. If they're trying, they, say, they the, say they're trying to do. What, they what say they they're trying to do. Like, cause sometimes I think that they are doing what they're trying to do, and it's the opposite of whatever they say. But like that's that's the interesting point. Okay, you you guys don't like women, and then no women go see birds of prey. And Ogre Squasher, thank you again, because apparently you tipped Matt the same tip. Yeah, yeah. Ogre Squasher, you are. Unbelievable, man! Thank you so very much. Another another hundred bucks. I mean, blown away, dude. Blown away. You're the coolest. 
Yeah, he's the, he's the benefactor of the show. So I know we've talked a little bit, but uh, what are your thoughts, no. uh, Clifton, about Hollywood missing their intended mark as well as, as, as angering whatever franchise they're uh, going after? Um, yeah, the fan base, I should say. Well, I'm kind of thinking about um, uh, Rough Girl's comment about women as well. Um, I think, just to go back a little bit, I mean, I think that there's a couple of issues at play there. Again, one is, again, we go back to this this term uh, that Albert, Albert uh, Maltz uh, said, which is art as a weapon. Um, in this case, it's a socio-political weapon to remind everybody that uh, that women are strong, as if we as if we needed to know that, um, you know, I mean, you're talking about a, um, you're talking about a, a, in terms of the cinema, we've had stars from Betty Davis and, you know, Catherine Hepburn, who've been, who, who themselves were strong female presences back in the day. In the seventies, you know, we all talk about um, uh, Sigourney Weaver and the Alien franchise, or we, you know, we look at the, the incredible work that um, Linda Hamilton did in Terminator 2, you know, and, and the thing is, it, those, those films, they weren't, or those characters, they they weren't driven by this idea that they have to prove the women are tough. I think the difference is that um, a lot of the women are tough because the story requires them to be. And if they don't begin the story as tough as they end the story, then there has to be a, a plot motive or a story progression motive in order for those characters to, to gain the might that they have. When you have characters who come in and don't need any sort of development at all, um, I can think of a certain um, intergalactic uh, franchise uh, bought by Disney that's a prime example of this. Um, when, I wonder which no, one. There, yeah, I know. Um, wonder, wonder you might. Um, there is a, there's no journey there. And people go to, you know, we talk about stories. I mean, a story is a struggle. We wanna see what happens on the other end of that struggle. And, um, you know, as, as far as female characters, it's very strange because oftentimes these characters, part of the reason that they're, they, we don't, we're not really into them is because it doesn't seem like they have a really struggle about them because the author's intent is to show how strong they are, not to see, not to, not to, not to delineate a human being, you know, under extraordinary circumstances that makes the story interesting. Um, but as as far as Hollywood missing out and not being in touch with the fans, again, I go back to um, it's just very insulated. And uh, there's a great uh, progressive uh, economist and mathematician named Eric Weinstein who talks about what he calls the gated institutional narrative or the gin, and as well as the, uh, he calls it the distributive idea suppression complex or the disc. And both of these things are kind of at play. Um, in, in Hollywood, for instance, I talk about how um, It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, but it, its creator, um, Frank Capra, was a conservative Republican. Um, how many, there are people who, there is a hostility even towards moderates and independents in the industry. So anyone who is conservative or has openly conservative views, I mean, Tim Allen and others like him are an exception. They kind of keep quiet. They don't want to rock the boat. So how many other It's a Wonderful Lives are we keeping out of Hollywood and by extension out of out of the cultural consciousness of the people of the United States or of the world because there is this um, there is this demand for ideological uh, conformity. So, so on one end, there's a gatekeeping that happens where 
you know, either you're gray listed or blacklisted. I mean, I, I'm I'm always shocked whenever I get appointments or auditions now, just based on what on my Twitter account. Um, but on top of this uh, this sort of enforced echo chamber, which is ironic because it comes from people who talk about McCarthyism all the time, but then they themselves I call them neo McCarthyists. Um, yeah, and I, I also like to say that oh, it turns out I think McCarthy had a point. Yeah, I think kind he of was on right. to something. When you look at the, you know, you look at the entertainment industry and you look at the uh, educational institutions and how much a lot of this stuff comes from from Marxism and socialism and, and the and the you know like all this stuff. It's like I oh, know actually he was on to something. He might not have gone around it, got gone about it the right way, but he had he had a point. Well, what's um, difficult about it is that um, if you're talking about like a sort of postmodern. Uh, sort of deconstructionist um, uh, point of view. I mean, a lot of the work that I did, especially in theater, comes from that. I think a lot of what we're seeing ideologically uh, extends from this sort of postmodern idea of, or this sort of critical with a capital C idea of, uh, of of pointing out, you know, various systems and all kinds of things in society. And that comes down into the work. And on one hand, it's kind of cool if you're from if you're a creative to say, well, I'm going to I'm going to question everything and break things down. You have to be curious as an artist um, and, and keep asking questions. But um, there's a point where, where it becomes so overboard that it becomes cynical and it becomes um, the foundations of a of a cynical worldview. And, and uh, you have people who don't know who don't know what heroism is, they don't know what true virtue is, they don't know yeah. what nobility is. That's what's so fascinating about reading, you know, reading um, these these old um, Greek treatises because they talk very openly about about what is good and what is bad and what's noble and what's not. And um, it just seems like now there's this overwhelming, pervasive um, spiritual kind of heaviness or or emptiness. I don't know what you would call it. That I would that, say emptiness. I agree. It, it, it's something like it's something like that where people don't know what is good anymore, and or they just don't. They, or they don't care. There or, isn't a collective like. Uh, well, they want to tear, tear everything down because yes. that's that, and that's. But they don't have anything worthwhile to put in, in its place. That, that's what I was getting at with that with that. Yeah, long yeah, kind of yeah. And, that, and that permeates the, the storytelling, and so it's not. They're not building much, in, and the stories don't aspire to anything. But they just. But they. But they. A lot of them seem to come from the point of view that the audience that's watching these films is bad and that the yep. film exists to solve some kind of societal problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no one goes to no one goes to Marvel movies trying to solve racism. Yeah. You're not qualified to create the, the answers. You even said in the Falcon and Winter Soldier, well, what do we do? Well, I don't have the answers. Well, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you chastising everybody? And man? it's it's just not the forum. It's just not the forum. A Marvel movie is not the place to have these complex discussions to well, you remind know us I, of society's woes. It's to escape that shit. It's to well, have a little fun. A little I'll, I'll push back because, you know, I was thinking just, just just before we came on the air, it's not as though these stories can be completely apolitical. I think one of the things that really impressed me about Captain America Winter Soldier is that at its heart, there was a political debate, which is freedom versus security. And um, so you, you can weave these things into... Uh, a story you can have those politics or those points of view inform your storytelling but if you but you have to don't insult your audiences and, and intelligence and tell them in, in a way that's satisfactory it makes sense for steve rogers in that film to be um 
a little disenfranchised and questioning like you know the 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 world that he's growing up in it's it's an interesting take for for the character and 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 the broader sense of well Steve Rogers is a guy who fought the Nazis Right. So of course he would be motivated to fight. I mean, and, and it, it's such great writing because it, it's, it flies into why he does not sign the Sokovia Accords in the, in Civil War. You, you know, it's like, we need we need freedom. Yeah, <laughs> but there's a, a strong difference, big difference between that and trying to convince your audience to agree with you. It's a yeah. Yeah. huge difference. I, well, I the, what, the, what the point is, it's character and it's story driven and it's and it's organic to um, to great art as opposed to, again, using art as a weapon to yeah. Uh, yeah, to that's... bully the audience into doing something or believing something that they otherwise would not. I like yeah, that. Yeah, because a lot of it is, is it, I, I use the term societal engineering, but I don't use it loosely. They are trying to generationally so. And I think that's part of the reason we don't have as many people who have a good, or as far as writers, have understanding of heroism. We've deconstructed things so long that they don't even know what a hero looks like. And they, I mean, there's a lot of concepts that instead of trying to entertain an audience, they're trying to acclimate an audience to a certain style of storytelling by putting it everywhere to the point that your video games and cartoons and TV shows and big budget movies all have a, the same message. And I get my thought is they, they're trying to wait us out. They're trying to like, you know what? We're going to teach your kids this. We're going to do it for years and years and years. And eventually they'll be used to, you know, every whammon just being super strong, powerful Mary Sue's and there's no, no consequence to their actions or, you know, you could brainwash and kidnap a town and everyone understands you like that, that stuff they're going to acclimate to where the kids are. are that's my thought at least. And you know, that's my thinking. Theory. There's also a question Theory, of what, yeah. um, of, of what, I'm kind of piggybacking on the idea of the strong female character. You know, you see a lot of, um, executives say, well, I wanted to create a character or you see actresses say, I wanted to create a character that, uh, that little girls could look up to. And, um, I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I was nine or 10 years old, I mean, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker and Indiana Jones and like Ryu from Street Fighter. And, yeah. um, <laughs> but the, the idea of wanting to be Luke was that he was the hero and he was saving everybody and putting himself in danger. And he was fighting, he was fighting the bad guys. Um, I feel like the, the, the strong female character is, is a role model for somebody who um, and I say, you know, capital S, capital F, uh, capital C, as a trope as we understand it today. Yeah. Um, I, f I feel like they, they're symbols of the abuse of power in a way. And um, yeah. it, it's, it's, that's not a healthy model to, to look up to. And, you know, like a Captain Marvel character would have been really interesting if we had seen uh, how she overcame uh, the, I guess you call it the, the, the tyranny of her, of her mentor or, or her teacher and how she learned how to believe in herself. I mean, that would have been an interesting uh, journey and, and story to watch as opposed to like, I'm, I'm just being held down by all, by all these men and all of a sudden I'm super powerful and I can do whatever I want. It's just, you know, I remember Luke Skywalker's like, this dude took three movies in order to, to, to earn that moment of where he shows up at Jabba the Hutt's lair. And you know we're like, oh snap, Luke! He yeah. got his hand back. He about to he about to whoop some ass right now. Like you know, we have to earn. You have to build up into that and, and earn that. Because yeah. in in the Empire Strikes Back, he went through a lot. He lost his hand. He found that his dad was the most evil uh, dude in the universe. He's having you know horrific visions, and and he's he he don't know what he's doing. He went through a lot, and then when he comes yeah, in he and Return of the Jedi, you're like, okay, 
this dude, he got a cleft in his chin now. He, he's a man. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, about to, he's about to mess some stuff up. But, you, you know, I didn't get that with Ray. You know, when she mastered the 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 Jedi mind trick in 10 minutes flat, I was like, you know what, uh, man? On the F fly. this movie. F this movie. You know, I, I just I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, there's there is no path of progression for this character. You know, she's just she's just perfect. She knows how to work the Millennium Falcon better than uh, better that than Chewie and up. Han does. You that know, she fixes everything. And again, it, it's and what happens is, as all the fans know, is that when when you be, begin to raise these concerns, which are totally to do with the writing of the character, not even the portrayal of the character, because a a, a Daisy Ridley can only she didn't give herself that job. And yeah. she's doing what she's being directed to do and what she's been hired to do. She's a hired hand, um, you know, as most actors are, unless they're producing their own material. And um, but, you know, you see that and it's just like, OK, well, how is she beating Kylo Ren, who's like a trained? <laughs> that also <laughs> messed me up. Really? You know, it just you there know, was only one way to go with that, that the other way, like she should have been a villain. She should have been. Oh, she's yeah. so powerful. Point. That would have been cool. That's why, you know what I mean? That would have been a twist. What if she would have turned out to be the villain and Finn would have been the hero because they did tease that maybe he could have, but that's instead he was just yelling for Ray for three movies. But like that's almost where they should have went because she was so overpowered as presented, where oh, she's just this girl on the planet, you know, some desert planet. Okay, they're trying to do Luke, but wait, no, Luke wasn't this good at anything immediately. What character is? And if you are, it's like you know, it, it's like, um, <clears throat> what's it called? Uh, like like Conan the Barbarian. Like, if you're that good and that powerful, you had to suffer so much to get to that point. Like, you know, that's that's part of your backstory and that you're dealing with the trauma of, of being this good because of how hard it was to get to that point. Like something, like some sort of human struggle. She had absolutely none whatsoever. I mean, even Thor, you know, he's he's a god, but... He has to prove himself. He has to keep proving himself worthy to keep on lifting Mjolnir. Right. You yeah. know, and some of the, some of the best Thor stories I've seen. Who's a character I didn't think that I, I I didn't expect to like, but um, but when I started reading the old the older books, obviously, um, I, I really fell in love with the character. You know, because he, he's not brilliant. He's not you know he's not a Peter Parker or a Tony Stark, but but his heart is always in the right place, and he's brash, and he can be uh, a little reckless, but. He's strong and he's heroic and he always fights to the end. But at this, at the end of the day, he's always serving the people of Asgard and he's always trying to do what's best for the people of Asgard. And he's worried that that one day, I think it was a Jason Aaron run, it might have been a God Butcher, where he, you know, he wakes up. There's a panel where he wakes up every morning and tests whether or not he can still lift Mil Milnir. And I'm like, that's mm -hmm. such a great kind of detail because. It shows that he he's always worried about being worthy. That's something that's heroic. That's virtuous. That makes the character virtuous, and and um, empathetic, and and empathetic. Yeah, you know he's got all these powers, but he's got all these vulnerabilities as well. And that's what audiences, that's what that's what Marvel Studios did so brilliantly. And and you know, and and I, I made this point before to other people is that. <clears throat> You know, one one thing that you noticed that I noticed, um, especially in a couple of the later uh, DC film offerings, is that you saw the characters in their costumes a lot of times, even when they were just having mundane conversations. And I thought to myself, you know, if it were like Saturday Super Friends or a cartoon, you you, you know, or or JLA or whatever whatever cartoon adaptation you 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 wish, that works in a cartoon. What's different about the Marvel films that is that you see people outside of their costumes 
almost more often than you see them in costume. And whenever they are in costume, it's usually in the service of an action scene. So what Marvel did is they said, we have these people who happen to have extraordinary abilities and they happen to have these you know, ridiculous costumes and have all these crazy, uh, crazy powers. And they, they gave us the people first and then and the powers were kind of secondary in a way. That's why in, um, I think uh, Captain America Civil War is one of my favorites because they have that in, they have that ridiculous tarmac scene, which still gives me goosebumps, you know, when they're like running toward each other and, you know, at increasing speed, yeah. like, you know, and um, they start all going at it. But they 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 knew the Russo brothers are smart because they knew they couldn't they couldn't really top that scene. So they took the emotional stakes deeper. And that's what was so fascinating about the film is that it didn't go for, you know, th they gave you all the spectacle, but then they went deeper and were like, oh, yeah, well, look, this dude that Steve Rogers has been trying to, to, to save murdered your, murdered your parents, Tony Stark. And Steve knew about it. He didn't say anything. I was like, oh, yeah. snap, Steve. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally like, you know, I'm like, a, I'm, like oh, I'm watching this soap opera unfold and I'm, and I'm sitting there in, in the theater, a grown ass man, just like, oh, no, like I'm, I'm involved in it. And that's, yeah. what, uh, <laughs> that, that's just what I want because I'm invested in who Steve Rogers is. I'm invested in who, in, in who Bucky is to Steve and I'm invested in who Tony Stark is and, and what his arc is throughout this, um, this decade long. Um, and you're saying uh, you didn't get that out of Birds of Prey? <laughs> I don't know what to say. I didn't yeah. see Birds of Prey. Uh, no, I, think, I didn't um, either. I'm, no I'm one did. Majority of the uh, country that didn't see <laughs> so, it. Yeah. Hey, I wanted Clifton. I wanted to go back to something you were saying before, and it's kind of like a question that I was kind of curious about your experience on this uh, as an individual. So you said like how you know you're not welcome in New York, um, and uh, you know I like I said I was in New York for about five years, and then I moved to California, and I think my move to California maybe like I moved in 2011, so maybe around like 20. 13, 2014, I think that's when I started to notice that there was this pretty significant difference in the entertainment industry. And there's kind of my community at large where, you know, when I was in New York, like everyone, pretty much everyone's like a, like a liberal, you know, left wing, like you just kind of, it's sort of assumed and presumed, but it wasn't, um, it didn't seem to assert itself as much into like everyday conversation or my work environments or at least, you know, not my acting schools really at all. Like it was just, we were always talking about the work. We were always, you know, this, that, and the other. But then I, th I don't know if it was California or if it was the time, but I noticed it became this sort of like click. It became, uh, yeah, he's right. Uh, it became this sort of like cult thing where and then it became very like you know almost like uh people would talk behind your back you know kind of like mean girls you know be like and if you weren't uh down with the program uh that's why they feel like it started to get a lot more uh exclusive a lot more intense and it be kind of became the more the dominant characteristic of the group did you notice a switch like that did you notice that kind of pattern or change in your experiences um <clears throat> No, I mean, one of my frustrations right now is that uh, until recently, I've been pretty, I've been able to be pretty isolated from those types of, of things. And I'm, I'm being told that I've, I get irritated because I'm being told that I've, that people that look like me have been excluded from the industry, you know, for years and years and years. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I've been working for years and years and years, more so than most people get, get the chance to. And yet I'm still being told that uh, the industry hates me. Um, or, or that it hates me because I'm black, and and no one seems to want to listen to uh, to any of my rebuttals. But I will say that something definitely shifted um, 
after Donald Trump was elected. Something, yeah, um, something, and it was weird because I was actually doing a show in, in Hartford. And even, even in that, when, when you just talk to people on the ground, I mean, this has been my contention for a long time. And, and on one hand, I have sympathies with people in the industry, especially, I mean, if you're, if you're a very well-known actor, you can't just go to the supermarket. You can't just have a low key kind of a day. So you, you, your anonymity is gone. So there's, it's harder for you to, there's just going to be a barrier there that that just has to exist between you and quote unquote, the public in, in, in in a lot of ways. And just living a life as as an actor, especially if you're busy and you're working a lot. I mean, you're going from gig to gig to gig. You're traveling. You're doing uh, promotional material. You're you're uh, you're reading scripts. You're you know you just don't have a lot of time to really um, do things. And when you get uh, a, a real momentum going, I mean that that sucks up all your focus. So you know, and and on top of that, if you're really going for the gold, you're in either uh, Los Angeles or New York City. There's just no two ways about it. So there's a, there's multiple factors that are creating this sort of this already, you know, this this sort of ideological bubble that we were talking about um, uh, before. Um, but <clears throat> I say all of that to say that in 2016, in November, I was doing a show in Connecticut um, and the first person who ever told me that he was going to vote for Donald Trump was our black barber that was like servicing uh, the, the show that I was doing. And his black friend is nodding along. His concerns were purely uh, economic. And um, you know, this guy was a son of, of a Jamaican farmer who had barely any ed- education, but he knew how to do math and work hard. So he was able to build a life for himself and for his, and for his family. And his son, who you know is cutting my hair, um, you know, has multiple businesses. And he was like, yeah, under Obama, you know, we, it was hard to open a business, but now Trump, he's going to make it so we can make some money. And his, and his boy, his black friend was sitting there laughing. Then I would go to the YMCA and uh, to the gym there. And the, I'd say more middle, upper middle class white guys out there, you know what they were talking about? Jobs in the economy. Then I would go to rehearsal for the show that I was in. And it was all about, um, you know, Trump is a racist. And, and if he wins, it's going to be about racism, yada, yada, yada. And wow. I can't believe where the country is going. So we're so we're completely isolated from oftentimes from these sorts of more heterodox opinions, which, you know, I, it, 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 it was just so strange. And then I had this sort of epiphany where I said, wow, you know, the I don't think the Democrats really have any use for you as a black person if you're actually happy with yourself and your life and you feel kind of exactly. self-possessed. But then after he was elected, we had a, a little shindig at the artistic director's um, uh, house. And the artistic director, for those who don't know, I mean, it's sort of like the big boss of whatever theater you're working at. And um, all the adults there were just, uh, they were sullen, they were moping around. They were, I just, I can't believe what's, what's happened and what's happening to this country. And I was the only asshole walking around like, I think we're gonna be fine. (laughs) No, and, but but it's just that if you talk to people and you see what their concerns are, which a lot of people in entertainment don't do, but they're writing for people that they they never interact with and increasingly they keep demonizing. So how can you write for a mass audience when in your mind, you know, your your buddy at Variety or the Hollywood Reporter, you know, or whoever runs Rotten Tomatoes, you know, they're all selling, telling you to say one thing and you don't want to be on the outs because you don't, you never know when your time on the carousel is going to be up and, you, and someone else going to step in and take your place. So everybody wants to say, you know, what they need to say. 
And, you know, it's just it's just not um, it's just not interesting. And I think that well, translates well, into what's being uh, produced. Yeah, yeah I, I, I firmly I, agree. Um, I, I hear like <laughs> there was like this distressed collective. Like I, I remember the exact same thing. Like like I, I got a letter from my uh, you know acting coach at the time, and he's like, "I know we're all hurting right now, and everyone's in a <laughs> sad time. You know, but please make sure you come to class, and we can talk about it and heal together." Yes, I'm like, I'm like, dude, be. A, are you adults? What's going <laughs> on? Yeah, you that's a good election. question. You lost an election, and you know, and and that that happens, you know. And but I don't want to spend. I mean, it got to the point I couldn't even go to an audition. I couldn't get through ten minutes of rehearsal, and someone was talking about, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to read for a series regular on CBS, and people are like, God, I just, I don't know what's happening. I like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to pontificate on the 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 current status of society and public events right now or yeah. current events right now. I'm trying to get a job. I don't care about any of this. You know, I, I worry about it when I'm rich. Okay. Can we just do this? Job? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, the one I saw that always cracked me up was they would do this very noble thing. We're like, you know, guys, let's just put this away. And then we focus on the work and then this way we can deal with it. We can heal. And it's just like, Oh my. And it's God. getting, and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. I'll tell you. So after last year, and this is one of the reasons I began being more vocal, you know, I mean, I got all, I kept getting these messages from theaters that I worked with or, or colleagues that I, other actors that I worked with, um, typically, uh, typically women, typically white, uh, very left, you know, just apologizing to me about how hard my life must be and how much pain I must be suffering because I'm a black Everybody person. Everybody hates Chris, Not, teacher thing. Well, it's just, it's just this condescending attitude yeah. and idea that that my life my life is nowhere near as good as theirs and I've been, <laughs> I've been oh, yeah. the entire time and I'm I would get my next question like do they and, realize uh, how racist they are because even though I'm off camera I am I'm I'm, I'm black dude brother from Detroit so well, like you know what well, they but they but here's part of the problem and it, and it's sort of it's a very it's an industry full of especially talking from an actor's perspective. I mean, it, it's our job to be empathetic. It's our job to feel things. And when you add to that, this sort of, I mean, I, I say oftentimes that what we're seeing, excuse me, what we're seeing from the, I mean, I don't even know what you would call them. I guess I would call them the social justice left to, just to be as, as specific as maybe I can be. Champagne um, socialists. Well, I don't know. I mean, it just try. I'm trying not to trying to yeah. get away from denigrating them too much, but I'm just trying to That's assign fair. some That's kind fair. of some kind of label to them. But this this faction uh, of people, <clears throat> it's a small number of them, but they're in industries that give them vast amounts of influence. So I think they think that their ideas are more widespread and their views are more widespread and more widely accepted than perhaps they they understand. But um, they. There is this component of this like social justice leftism or maybe leftism as a whole that has the same kind of like piousness and sanctimony as like the religious right that we used to make fun of during the Bush years. And so there's a moral political, there's a moral and a political, uh, uh, excuse me, a moral component on top of all of this, which is like, well, I believe these things because I care more. I'm a caring mm -hmm. person. These Ooh, are the yeah. issues that, that I care about to the exclusion of other issues and to the exclusion of other points of view. So you have a you have an industry where 
actors especially you know the employment is very precarious employment is the is the is the exception not the rule you never know when your next job is coming from you're expected to be compliant and say yes all the time even when directors clearly have no idea what they're talking about or the text is there in front of you and the writer doesn't know how to write and it's garbage but you still have to say yes anyway you're you're expected to be compliant so you have a, an industry full of compliant people who have one set of views that they that they have no that they've never seen outside of. And it's and they wouldn't dare question. Component. Say what? Sorry, and they wouldn't dare question. Well, because because well, there's no need to because they're good people. They're good people be, right. before believing in the things that they believe in. Everyone else who doesn't believe what they believe is a bad person and they're horrible and wrong. And they don't deserve um <laughs> to to be a part of be a part of society. Aren't I mean they tolerant? It's, say they're what? so tolerant. It's so tolerant of them to to have that opinion. Well, it's weird. To be it's, so it's tough in the name of uh, tolerance. Well, yeah. Well, and they're all about tolerance and love, and it's and it frustrates me because otherwise they're very, very gifted and skilled and lovely people who are very interesting and intelligent about other things, and they come from other walks of life. But um, when it comes to politics, it's it's just very narrow, and because it's very narrow, it it only certain points of views are really. Inter entertained, and I think what's happened, and what's it's happened in New York already, I think, but it's also happening on a, on a broader scale in Hollywood, which is a way, way, way bigger wing of the entertainment industry. Um, yeah, there's a lot more money at stake. Is that it's alienating itself? This work is alienating itself from from vast numbers of people, and it's only appealing to this niche um, perspective, uh, you know, sort of bourgeois. I guess I'll say Marxist kind of um, kind of worldview, and I think that most people in this country, at least, don't really share <laughs> don't really share those views, and but they don't know, but they're talking past each other, and they just don't get it. Yeah, no, it's um, you, you touched on something there too, and it, and it, it was the thing that was really it was perplexing to me. It was they have this unbelievable gift of empathy, like they they could take paper black and white, you know, written words and create a whole human being with a perspective and values and like concerns. And they can do all that, but they couldn't possibly conceive of why someone might vote for Trump. Yeah, that's they, they, they can't do it. Been my thing. So like I because I feel dehumanized by them in a number of ways. And actually, even one of them is, is black. I mentioned Everybody Hates Chris, the, the TV show Everybody Hates Chris had a teacher that just assumed he was the poorest black guy and his father wasn't there. And that was the joke, but it was like, and this is like a 10, 15 year old show, but like as someone who's not, who's never really been a part of the Hollywood system, I tried to make music, but never really got into the system like that. Um, like I tend to just think that they don't have empathy that they're all sociopaths who just want money and don't care or just want to prove how much better they are. So I guess I'm, I'm posing that question not just to Clifton, but to Matt. Like off your point, like how did that happen? Where these people who are talented and otherwise empathetic and can understand empathy in order to act, that that takes uh, that's a skill of being able to emotionally tap into um, a, a different place than you actually are, and to present that to people. I mean, I, don't take for granted how how, how uh, incredibly rare that is. It's just um, why film and TV is such a big deal, but how can people who can do that be so detached from other people having a different opinion? Because those other people are infidels and non-believers. 
Uh, or they're or they're apostates. Yep, it's indoctrination. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting that even without religion, it could become a religion? Well, that's, I mean, you know, I, I'm I say this as a uh, as an atheist, and one of the loneliest things to be as a black atheist, especially uh, black people are Christian AF uh, in, in general, and um, but it's it's just very strange. I mean, I was talking to. I was talking to Zuby about this for a while as well. You know, I I can't. It's tough for me to to. <clears throat> I mean, I called it I called it cultural malaise in the past, but there is this, and it goes back to I think the cynicism that we were talking about earlier. There is just a some kind of hole, some kind of emptiness, and and I don't know. I I can't think of another word to describe it other than spiritual where there is a, a darkness or an emptiness, a, a, a lack of aspirational um, intent um, that is plaguing everybody. It's plaguing the arts and it's, it's making everything just, there's a lack of heart and a lack of soul to so much of, what's, of, of, of what we're doing. And uh, I think of this line from Hamlet all the time, it's early on in the play, where he says, uh, he says to Horatio, there is more in heaven and earth, Horatio, than is dreamt of in your philosophy. Philosophy in this sense being, um, it could be interpreted as like, you know, the, the thinking, seeking wisdom, um, could also be interpreted as science. But either way, it's like he's saying that there is more to life. There's more uh, to our, to us living than what can you, you, what you can understand up here in your head. And and to me, that's such a, that's such a grand um exciting moment to, to think that, wow, there's so much that I don't know and there's so much that I can learn. And the more that I read, the more research that I do, the more I'm humbled by what I don't know. But these people who speak, who who presume to, uh, to, to create work, uh, to be consumed by, you know, millions of people, I don't know if they're that, um, I don't know if they're all sociopaths. There are definitely some of them that are that are uh, uh, not the greatest people. And you're also talking about an industry that tends to attract a lot of damaged people. To be to be quite honest with you, um, the arts in general do that. Yeah, well, it's I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough life to lead, and uh, there's not a whole lot of comfort and and money in it. I mean, if you become a movie star, that's the that's the top one or two percent of the industry. Um, you know, it's, it's a very very rare rare thing to do. And even that has its own challenges and um, and its own miseries, I guess. Even though from the outside, I mean, that's why you see all these stars killing themselves, um, or they're 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 on drugs. They're not happy with who they are. And you you take somebody who was just um, even someone with a big Twitter following. It's like you know they're just some. They might just be somebody with a phone, but all of a sudden, there's all this press. All you know, you might just be somebody that I just like acting. You know, I just I enjoy yeah. creating characters and, you know, I enjoy being seen and um, and I enjoy rich storytelling or whatever. But personally, like, you know, if if, if it's after a show or whatever, like I just want to go home. I don't want I don't want to deal with the, the public. I just want to do have my work speak for itself. And um, you, you. I lost my train of thought. Shoot. Huh. No, man, you were you were going. Um well, no, you were talking there was, about there was a point that there was a point to it all. I forgot what it was, unfortunately. Well, you were saying, you know, how um, as much it, about movie stars being disconnected. So we were talking. That's how it started. You were talking about movie stars being disconnected, and you were saying how you know how oh, lonely. Yeah, well, well it, yeah. Well, it's just a. It's just the the, the broader idea was just people who become uh, trapped 
in this idea of themselves? First of all, I mean, if, especially if you're a man, I think, if, if you're not working as an actor or you are working as an actor, you take uh, value in that. It's a, it's a value judgment about yourself. Um, you, you know, you have a reason for, for being, but then you're, but then <laughs> take that, you're, you're insulated in this bubble where your agent, your manager, your, public, your, your publicist, um, you know, all this press is about you telling you how great you are. You have all these fans who are telling you how great you are. So, so that's kind of blowing you up. And all you are deep down inside is some little kid who grew up in Virginia or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, found something, something that they're good at. And now everyone in the world knows who they are. And um, I think, I think there's a lot of, I think that that gets lost a lot is that these people are are also people and they have their own hangups and no amount of fame or notoriety or money is going to take away from any of that. Um, so they, there's a, hey, Virginia, what's going on? Hell. Um, so what I'm, what I'm getting at is that there, there is a, there's a lot of fear and insecurity um, uh, in the industry, and, and, and it's exacerbated by the kinds of people that go to the, in, the industry. But the flip side of that is what we were saying before, is the people who have a, a, a bigger well of empathy, and they, they tend to, at least in the past, they tend to lean more towards curiosity and trying to understand the world as it is. Um, but that's now discouraged. You can't ask any questions. Nah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Do so at your own peril. Conformity creates, uh, creates fantastic art, didn't you, didn't you all know? <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it, it does in an anti way. Once you create this conformist situation, there's usually the rebellion to that is that where the art comes in, and I, I, I that's what I anticipate. That's what this has kind of become, in a yeah. way, because as much as uh, a lot of this that we do and uh, other channels that you know inspired us to get get going, um, are, are criticizing Hollywood and telling, like you said, telling Hollywood what we would want if you would make it. It's also become an entertainment source in and of itself, in a, in a a place to you know shout to who knew the salt must flow. One of my early early subs saying this is a great conversation. There's 26 people watching. There'll probably be hundreds of people who watch the playback just to see us talk about this. And yeah, all right, this is a smaller channel, but much bigger channels are like literally competing with like sports with their their, their turnout for views and, and and things like that. So like. This is kind of the rebellion, so to speak. And, and as much as they have tried to, they have created this conformity, this creative conformity in their head, whereas politics and telling a certain type of story and all the other things that go on with Hollywood, we have become inadvertently or, or otherwise the anti conformity that hopefully will come and, and is in and of itself an art. You know what I mean? Like we were talking about off screen. I think we may have said on screen. We're still learning the ins and outs of this technically and. Try, you know, I'm I'm putting up comments because I want to make sure the chat's involved, but I also love the conversation, everything you're doing. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that. We're all still trying to figure out, but at, at the same time, I know I'm branding and saying a lot of things. People are coming out to see this, and this yeah. is it's not just a critical of Hollywood or critical of the machine of conformity. It, it is the the rebellion, and in many ways, the the kind of the antithesis. I mean, Logan Paul is the biggest boxer on earth right now. And there's there's also there's also going to be a point, I think where the level of expertise is going to, um, if not catch up to, maybe even surpass what's available. I mean, part of the problem with, with the system as it is, is that the top talent is going to be there just because they get paid a lot of money to be there. And, um, and, they can, and their level of skill and, and experience 
um, allows them to command that kind of salary. But I also think that more and more people, I mean, I know personally I'm, I'm on a kick right now. That's, why, that's one of the reasons I'm reading Aristotle, because I want to go back to the basics and understand um, why it is that we tell stories. Where does an actor fit into that story? What are the most artistic choices that I can make? I think one of the um, most rebellious things artists can do right now is just to make art for its own sake, to make art that is beautiful, to um, to have as their goal to create some kind of transcendent emotional experience for for the audience. I mean, even that in and of itself will be rebellious because you're actually focusing on what you want the audience to experience as opposed to trying to improve them um, sociopolitically. Um, so I, I think there, there's there's going to be a point where more and more people begin asking or looking looking deeper, and it's and it's going to not just be about well, I want to shoot this movie because I want to um, you know put out some content or grow some YouTube followers or whatever. It's like I'm going to shoot this movie because make this movie because yeah, you know I want to get more YouTube followers, but I really want to tell a story about uh, about a, you know a man trying to preserve his family under extraordinary circumstances and how he grows and how that breaks him or whatever. Like you know what I mean? The, 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 the technology will improve, but I think that the expertise and the craft will also Im improve. And at that point, you know, I mean, I think I think the the old system as we knew it is is sort of already uh, vanishing to irrelevance. I mean, when you have an Oscar broadcast that pulls in fewer viewers than the average PewDiePie upload, I think you know you might have yeah. to say that you're doing something wrong. But um, once once quote unquote we the people catch up with the level of expertise, you know, editing, cinematography, lighting, sound design, writing, um, acting. Um, I mean, that, that's kind of game over at that point, I think. Uh, the bubble's yeah. gonna have to pop at some point. The Hollywood Thank bubble. you for saying that, because I, I, I say that and a lot of people are pessimistic. And I'm like, well, I saw it happen with music though. I saw it happen. In 2004, like everyone were like had Fruity Loops, not FL Studio, just Fruity Loops, <laughs> and people were like, "Oh, you need to use equipment and all this other stuff." And generations of people learned how to use their computer in order to create the industry, the now industry standard stuff for a genre, and, and allowed any human being, regardless of genre, to create music and flatten that world. I know it can be done with this. I, I also see it happen with video games, where indie games, one or two people could create a game and, and generate more money than major, you know, AAA gaming companies. If it was a flop, but even some just so massively uh, successful, and it has to be able to happen in, in film. There has to be a way. It, it it shall happen because people still want to see good film, good entertainment. I think you know. It's possible. I'm not saying it's not possible. It's just there's a tremendous amount of money and expertise that goes into making any kind of good amount of, you know, film or television. It's it's like staggering until you try to do it yourself. You honestly can't understand how much expertise goes into the things you don't even think about, like shots yeah. matching, like color and shots matching. Like that's that's a skill that's incredibly expensive to hire. You know, like a colorist is and I'm not saying it's not possible, but I, I, I wonder if you know, I guess because if you're the expert in that field, like if that's your if that's the thing that still moves you, I guess trying to say don't do that is ridiculous. I mean, you should be contributing to your art as best you can. I just wonder if if the stronger pull or if the, the more impactful thing will be to eventually, you know, 
pull enough audience away from the film and television to the point where it's no longer profitable for the people who do spend all this money on it, meaning that they'll eventually have to come back to the audience and be like, we're sorry, we will begin to make things that are interesting and like we'll hire people and give them more autonomy and stop preaching and practicing this because you know i mean i don't know maybe i'm just this is just my point of view but maybe you know maybe it could happen but i just feel like the um the the mechanism for distribution of of something on the scale of a film and television is is pretty tough to rival eventually well, I, I'm looking at it from a different perspective. I'm looking at it for how expensive, like you just said, it's a very expensive product. This is not, right? And, and right. okay. And not even this. I think there's also an audience willingness to, to suspend disbelief. Um, and we've seen fan films, like the, the I bring up the Bat in the Sun. I've seen Star Wars fan films that when you look at, okay, this is, I would accept this quality of work if it was an original property with the same storytelling that I'm looking for with, with interesting characters, with heart, with whatever it, it, you're looking for, uh, specific to genre. And then there's also other, you know, ways to like creators figured it out before it, you know, years and years ago where you have, uh, we talked, <laughs> we talked about Kevin Smith clerks, something like clerks. That's not a, a, a I, I'm sure the budget for that movie was very small. I think we've even talked about uh, some of the early uh, Robert Rodriguez movie movies and how cheap they were to make. Now, yeah, I, they still needed Hollywood to distribute it, though. That's the thing. But like, like you can distribute it on on Amazon Prime, on YouTube itself, on things like that. You know what I mean? That's yeah. now a thing. I mean, look, my buddy Jared, like he just made a film, like you know, for us, it's non-union, so it like. If it was union, he said, like, if you scaled up, it would have been something like one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars. Like, it's still a pretty modest budget. Um, and he's right now in the process of that distribution. Like, he just, you know, got a very small yeah. distribution deal. That's not, you know, a mainstream house. So, you know what? I mean, let's investigate it. Like, let's let's chronicle it. Let's talk to him and see where it goes with yeah, it. Because it's I would like love that. To. You're not wrong in the sense that it's it's possible. It's just like it, you know, is it is it profitable in the sense like will it match the amount of money it's going to cost to make something like that? You know, it de- depends on scale. I don't think I I, I don't think you can crowdfund a, a Infinity War that or or fund an Infinity War independently. Right. No. No. I agree. I'm just saying. But even so, like New Bomb Turk is pointing out that Clerks budget is uh, just over 25k, and that's in the 90s. So you know, I don't know what the what the inflation on that is, but it's got to be 75. I'm guessing. Yeah, I would think at least, at least. Uh, so it's it's like so we're talking about that. So it's like you'd have to just EVS the, got a million though. Yeah, EVS is EVS though, and also like EVS doesn't need to pay technicians. We don't know what's going to happen in five years though. There may be a EVS no, no, kid. Brother, I, I understand. Like, I, I appreciate your optimism, and I'm just trying. I'm just trying to keep it realistic. I'm not trying to say like, you know, like, yeah, definitely. If it's just like, you know, EVS doesn't have to pay an editor, doesn't have to pay, you know, colors, doesn't have to rent cameras and equipment and all this shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's different. If, if you could, you know, a, a comic book, even it's like even a double A AA comic book. What's what's that? Ha- I mean, how many how many people make a comic book? Ten. True, but I mean, like. The, to me, there's a big remark, and I'm, I'm sorry that we kind of got off on a little bit. Yeah, of sorry, debate. sorry, we're just having a, a, a debate without you, Cliff. <laughs> uh, no, what I are mean, your, what are your thoughts to our, to our debate? <laughs> well, I just think that um, you know, it is um, 
it is correct that uh, it it takes a lot, a lot. I mean, the fact that any movies actually get made is kind of a miracle, or even or that ser at, that episodic television keeps going week after week is sort of um, a miracle. I mean, they they are so heavily, um, especially a, a television show. It's so heavily regulated. You know, every every minute has to be accounted for because there's so little time. They're trying to do so much. Um, so there's a lot of parameters and strictures that they that they have to work inside of. It's very systematized. But and it, and it kind of needs that. At the same time, um, I, I agree that you know there's. I mean, people are watching movies on their their tablets and their laptops and smartphones. I think there's. I think there could be a market for people to develop a following, their own individual followings online, and and get project crowdfunded. I mean, I've had people reach out to me with expertise privately saying, you know, I, I, I work on this and, you know, I'd be willing to help and I just want to, you know, do more art and, and not all of these people are, um, are hacks. So I think there are amateurs out there who, um, who for the right projects will be willing to kind of, you know, take, not make big bucks. I mean, not that, you know, you'll get rich on any of this, but I think the, the broader point is that the distribution is there. The, you can get really decent equipment and make things look okay for a fraction of the cost that uh, that Hollywood is, even though you're not going to get that specific quality, and you're probably not going to get, you know, as much staff as you need. But I think there, I do think that there is a possibility. Um, I mean, even the comic book guys we were talking about. I mean, didn't didn't EVS just buy buy a warehouse? I don't think he yeah. had one a couple of years ago. So, you know, I, I mean, I envy those comic guys whenever they're shilling their um, their their self published books because I'm like, God, listen, listen to how listen to how excited uh, um, your boy Zach sounds when he's when he's talking about his new things. He's he's just creating he's creating a, an industry from scratch and he's hiring people and yada yada yada. And I'm and so I ask, so I, I take your point about being realistic, but I also ask myself, you know, why why couldn't it be uh, why couldn't it be us? I mean, Antonio Sabato Jr. just uh, his film. Um, a new film he produced uh, in, in the God is Dead franchise. I mean, I tweeted about it a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> I mean, I probably wouldn't see it um, just because of, uh, um, you know, it, it's the, the the God is Dead franchise. It's not on my my list of things that uh, that I'm flocking to the movies to see. But you know, he his story is that he was like kind of pushed out of the industry because of his beliefs. And now he's making films and films that are asking important questions, I think. So, you know, people are doing it um, and it's possible. Um, I think, I think more people need to just either get fed up and decide to do their own things. I mean, I know that I'm, it's one, again, I go back to why I'm reading some of the old classics because I really, I really want to understand storytelling and what it is and, and what the point of all of this is like, why am I even alive? Why am I an actor? Why, you know, and is, is it not enough to be an actor? No, it's not. You have to create things. You have to write things and produce things. Um, if someone, you know, if Tim Poole figured it out, I think then the rest of us can, can, um, can jump on board and, uh, and do whatever we can do in this space. We're not going to get rich. We may not have the, the sort of, you know, we might not be talking about how well our films are going to be doing in the Chinese market, but uh, yeah. you know, I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, you have to be realistic and it does take a lot of, of effort and manpower and organization to pull off one of these projects. But, um, y you know, it's always it's always impossible until someone until someone does someone it. Someone does it. Yeah. Good point. Very good and, point. Um, real quick, got a shout out. Uh, hey, Comics Division. Hey, what's comics, going on, division. comics Division. FNT member, because this is the second time we've actually done this where we get the FNT guests early before they get them, even though you are on FNT first. But yeah, Comics <laughs> Division. I appreciate you being hey, here. 
And I, I see people keep constantly bringing up the budgets. And, I, and another thing is never, you know, underestimate audiences willingness to, you know, to like something and to to want to like something overlook maybe technical thing. I, I keep seeing in the comedy space where a lot of YouTube and Instagram comedians will do sketches that are to me way funnier than anything you would see our Saturday Night Live. And you overlook the budgetary things. You okay, the guy's in his house, but he's supposed to be somewhere else. You don't even you just suspend disbelief and, and, and go with the joke a lot of times. And so I, I the audience themselves, and, and it's not going to be this sniper shot. You might have one or two smash hits, but for the most part, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. And again, Hollywood's not producing stuff that's making money. I have no idea how uh, the Star Trek guy, he, he didn't score 40 touchdowns last year. He doesn't average 30 points a game, but they paid him like five years, $150 million, like he's a top athlete, when he's never produced anything that has made money. Screw the wokeness, screw everything. All of his product, projects have failed, yet he's giving money. Like, that can't be sustainable. <laughs> Excuse me. Is he, I mean, he's in... He's in the club, you know what I mean. He has yeah. the um, he has the right, he has the right beliefs, you know. He has the right belief system, and uh, it, it, I mean, it, it it baffles and it amazes me as well at, at how people continue. It seems to almost be a feature in, in a lot of these sort of circles that people uh, kind of fail upwards somehow. They that they they succeed in spite of themselves, and I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to knock anybody in, in in particular but it's like yeah if if i were a a doctor or a surgeon and and my patients keep dying i probably am not going to keep getting work as a doctor or a surgeon in the future if i'm somebody whose job it is to you know fix cars uh, I, I probably am not going to continue to get hired if the cars that i work on keep exploding or their brakes or their brakes keep failing and people keep dying you know i i, I but yet you can <laughs> You can preside over all kinds of flops. You can have the, the worst films. You can you can generate the worst kind of publicity. You can damage your brand and still find yourself gainfully employed. Yeah. Here, then, here's an interesting one, too, is the uh, the showrunners for the new Lord of the Rings show on Amazon. They have one credit on IMDb before this. That's insane. One. That's why insane. would you why would you entrust such a huge property to people I don't, with such little experience? How 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 do you get that? How do you even interview for that job if you don't have like not even a resume? What were you doing? And the there's thing. like there's so little information about it. Like I tried to Google the guy, and like the best I could find is the guy was born in the 80s. Like that's it. Like they don't even have that's a so date right. at this guy. But well, you how, know how little is known about this person. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think part of it I was working on a um can, can we swear on this podcast? Yes, oh, fuck uh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I was I was um I was doing a guest spot on this Fox show which I got canceled so there's no more residuals for me unfortunately. Ah. But uh, we were on we were on set and we were talking about, you know, there's a few actors on the set that were from New York so I so I knew them so we're, you know, when the cameras aren't rolling we're shooting the shooting the shit. And um, we were talking about how there's just the level of mediocrity because when you when you come up, especially um, especially from the New York scene and the sort of grit uh, that it takes to survive, just you know, in there when you start doing a little bit well, and you know, you just you you hustling to, to be in New York is a hustle, and so there's a so a lot of the actors that come out of there have a chip on their shoulder just because of, of that kind of a thing. So me and this other New York actor who's you know one of the leads on the show, we, we're talking and and um, I was like, yeah, man, just 
it, it, it seems like there's a lot of just like mediocrity and he just cuts me off. He goes, it's too many motherfuckers working. And <laughs> the thing is, like, he was right because there's so many shows now. There's so many streaming platforms. There's, you know, there's you, you got you, one time you had like, you know, Microsoft, you know, producing shows like everyone's yeah. producing shows and like people have to be fill, filling those roles. And so I wonder if part of it is that there's a there's different platforms that, that the top talent is going to or, or, or that they're being drawn to. It might be streaming television because of all the freedom and, and time that that that, that um, allows. But um, it, it might just mean that certain parts of the market are just experiencing. I mean, we're talking about a series. Um, th th maybe people are spread too thin, you know, and or it could just be it could just boil down to there's so much material now that there's and there's an ideological kind of capture. But also, there's just too many motherfuckers working. And <laughs> there's too many motherfuckers working, but there's too few motherfuckers are willing to pick and let them work, right? So it's like you have maybe if this is the entirety of people who want to work in the industry, it's like this many people are allowed to work in the industry, right? Because you have to have the right politics and you have to have the right friends and you have to say the right thing and your last project's got to be hot. And you know, there's so many different little pre-qualifiers that, you know, there's probably, there's probably someone who could, you know, knock the shit out of this Lord of the Rings uh, a TV series, but they're, you know, That's are they even in the conversation? You know, are well, they even allowed to get right this now. job? What's that? Well, that's a, that's a, yeah, they're, they're driving an Uber right now as we speak. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, there was a, um, I was, this was a few years ago. I was in LA, I was testing for something and I just, um, it was such a bizarre experience because the, that town is such an industry town and Oof. you know <laughs> you're picking up interns for different studios and and your driver has been working has been writing scripts for 35 years and you know there's there's just no this is la there's just there's just no escape to it mm -hmm. um it's just uh it's 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 a crazy crazy world i lost my train of thought again there was something i was going to say you said you're um, testing for something out there and it was uh, just the, the weird experience of being in that wacky town I mean, it's just it's a it's a weird place to be. Um, she, what, what were we talking about? It was because um, it was just, connected uh, to what we were all saying. Who gets like what jobs and what what? Yeah, you know, how, what's how, how so people with no credit can end up with Lord of the Rings. So for one, so th there's a great book called uh, "One Less Bitter Actor" by a guy named Mark Flanagan, and in this book he talks about how the sausage is made in terms of like how you know about the hiring process and anybody who has ever been a reader for auditions and. Or, when you're a reader, that means that you that you are acting with the the actors coming in auditioning for the prospective roles. So you're reading the script with them. So you're so in these like hour these uh, hours long sessions, you're seeing different actors come in and read the same material. You know, you're reading it back to them, and what you begin to see from the inside, or at least that the first layer of the inside, is that oftentimes it has n very little to do with how great or how bad the actor is. What they're looking for is how right that actor is for a role. I mean, I, I've seen people give amazing auditions that didn't even get a call back. I've seen people that I was like, yo, that was straight trash. And they end up making like, you know, down to the final three or whatever. And part of it is because as Mark Flanagan writes, it's about, it's not about, it's rarely about hiring the best actor. It's about hiring the actor that people feel the most comfortable with. And then you have 
that this is a very, very um, relationship driven industry. That's a part of it, too. Um, you know, you have to be in enough people's good graces, increasingly uh, being seen as easy to work with or as a nice person, uh, someone who is agreeable, someone who is easy to get along with, not too much ego, not too much of a diva. That helps uh, in terms uh, that can almost supersede talent in terms of why people get hired. Um, there's politics that go into it as well. And, you know, we've seen from other channels that cover this kind of a thing. I mean, there, there's all kinds of things that are that are at play and but when you're in the middle of it and when you're that when you're that person who's getting these projects because well this is somebody that has handled big projects before and they're safe um they've proven themselves before and uh you know and they're likable and and they think all the right things and so that's that's enough and you know they have great publicists by their face in a way they what they're cutting off their noses to spite their face well, but there's a, there's also a practical kind of business a aspect to, of it as well. You know, if part of it is it's a very reactionary industry and it's a very um, trend driven industry. So if someone is getting all these jobs or if someone land, all it takes is one job, one show, one role, you know, one script or whatever. And, you know, and then they generate what's called buzz about you. And, you know, people, you have different relationships, you're, you know, if you have a good agent, they're calling up different producers and casting offices and, you know, your reputation just grows over time. And at a certain point, you become a, a safe bet. And, and, you know, in, and in defense of all those like very selective characteristics, there is definitely a portion of like authentically mentally ill people that are drawn to, you know, um, the uh, entertainment industry. And I don't mean like SJW mentally ill or like people with depression. I mean, people who are crazy, like they're fucking nuts. Like I used to work at a place that would have like auditions like all day. Like I, I don't know if you're familiar with Kaz out in L.A., but I used to just work at like a place next door. And like you would see like lunatics, like maniacs. So it's like. <laughs> People would it just whatever it is, there's just that many a percentage of people that want to be it. So it's like you also do need to protect against that a little bit. Like you can't mm -hmm. be responsible for hiring someone who's like mentally ill, like flipping over the craft services table because they gave a good audition. Like there, do, you do need to vet people on like more than one level. So as much as I want to, you know, trash well, them for being exclusion, exclusives, you know, it's like they are. Amber Heard works in Hollywood, so I don't know. Just well, figure off. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I mean, that, that's a whole other can of worms. But it, but yeah, no, you know, but but it's not. We're, we're not really disagreeing. It, it, there's just a practical matter of people decide. It, it goes into you know who is safest to hire. You know, I mean, I've been in positions where I mean, I've been contacted by directors who wanted to hire a specific actor, and they were like, "Well, I heard the actor you were working with that I want to hire got fired from the thing y'all were working on. You, could you talk to me about that?" And so it's a very very relationship uh and, and sort of network driven business and once you're in the right circles i mean it really is about who you know at a certain point and um that's kind of the issue too you know that all the same people know each other and it's it's you know any any career any any career is a miracle and getting any job is a miracle and when you get a string of jobs and, and a string of properties that happen to, to hit the, all the right notes and all the right people are working on them I mean, it's a career is basically lightning in a bottle over and over and over again. And at some point, <laughs> at some point, you, you got to miss. So there's there's a lot of factors that that uh, that go into um, who is chosen for roles and chosen for different projects. And a lot of it is just this person is hot right now and this person is safe and they've proven themselves in the past. And I like them. Mm -hmm. yeah.
It's true. So real quick before we continue, I, I did not miss. Uh, you, we talked about lunatics. The weight now. He's our president, lunatic. With the best yeah. super chat smoking right now, tipping four twenty. <clears throat> Um, he actually says, uh, hail to my favorite YouTubers and what a guest y'all asked Clifton to sing something, LOL. So yeah, if you're willing, uh, if you want to sing, feel free. Cause I know you are a really good singer, but, oh yeah. Well, uh, no, I, I only do it uh, now if I'm, if I'm paid to do it. So fair oh, enough. Fair the, enough. If you're good That's at something, never do it for free. If you're, if yeah. you're good at something, never do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, wake down. Also, just a secondary note. I sent you a, I sent you a message, uh, vigilante. I, I don't know. I, I didn't tell you this. No one knows this, but uh-huh. I did manage to get a, a copy of, uh, that horror movie that we were discussing last week. If you remember, oh, yeah. I did manage oh. to pull it off. Okay. Yeah. So, so Clifton, something that's gone on, uh, on, on my channel a few times, uh, that's just because, uh, it's fun and cathartic is we've gone into like my acting history and we've got into some of the, uh, like lesser, lesser than perfect projects that I was in and, uh, started making fun of them. Uh, and la- last week we did a pretty intense one, uh, where I, I played a yoga that instructor. Was wild. That was insane. So I, I played like a yoga. I was watching an Illuminati initiation ritual. <laughs> it was bananas. I was a, playing a yoga instructor who, on the side, uh, did uh, like BDSM, uh, like furniture stuff for old women for like a significant amount of money, and uh, it was for one of those like bad lifetime shows. And uh, had had video of that and watched that on the show. And I just discovered wow. that I have a copy of this terrible horror movie that I was in. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've ever gone back and watched your stuff like that, you know, for the pleasure of others, but actually, it's pretty freeing. <laughs> oh God, was well, you know, I, I can't stand to watch myself on camera most of the time. It's um, pretty painful. You know, I, even even if I'm auditioning for something and I, you know, I tape myself for something, it's hard to watch the playback. Um, but at the same time, it is like you kind of have to come to grips with like this is what i look like i sound kind of weird and this is how i carry my body <laughs> and, right and this is just right. it's just what it is once you once you can that's the thing man that's part of the the paradox of you, you have to this is a this is an industry and a life that is full of shame but but, <laughs> in, but in the practice of what you do you have to be shameless and you, you can't take yourself too seriously, you know. I mean, you, you just you just can't do it because it's a ridiculous job. It's just a ridiculous job, and you get you get asked to do. I mean, think of every zany, ridiculous commercial you've ever seen, and understand that they probably auditioned like dozens, if not hundreds, of people for that crazy role. You got so you got all these adults, you know, crowding into a small room, being like, blah, 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 and doing all kinds of crazy nonsense. <laughs> Just for a paycheck, and so if you if you look at it from that perspective, man, you just you can't you can't really you really it's almost the the wisest way to go about it because yeah, like you would I would you do those commercial auditions where like you know you you get paired up with a group of people and they're just like okay, so then you saw a, a clown car got into a car accident with a bunch of aliens and now you have to react like it's happening. Okay, be everyone be really energetic and it's just, it's like the most yeah. like awkward like degrading like also like you know i just finished like you said like doing hamlet in acting class like yesterday and now i'm just like whoa is that a cloud <laughs> like it's like, the weirdest <laughs> contrast it's such a strange journey uh for for that performer but uh yeah yeah uh, well you know but you have to have the capacity um as a performer to to make a fool of yourself i mean that's how you find all the interesting kind of uh, tidbits i mean the, the the thing 
there's a great book. I don't know if you heard of it, uh, uh, but it's called The Intent to Live. It's by a guy named Larry Moss. It's one of the best acting books I've ever read. And the, the title, I mean, it just is what, you know, The Intent to Live. As an actor, it's your job to be to be alive and, and to, to create, you know, to take, as you were saying earlier, you have to look at this page and create some kind of a flesh and blood human being that, that's interesting to, to behold, that, that, that becomes compelling to an audience. And there's a craft and a technique that you can use uh, to to do that, but part of it is you can't you can't have inhibitions about yourself. And there's a great chapter in that book, The Intent to Live, where he talks about he just rants about being cool. And I feel like a lot of days, a lot of times, you have people now who they just want to be they just want to be stars, but they don't want to be actors. They want to be famous. They want to be considered cool. They want to have some kind of status, but they don't actually want to dig deep and just get to the nitty gritty, ugly stuff of. Um, of what it is to just be a, a human, you know, like the the uh, the nuts, the guts, and the heart of what it is to be to be a, a person, and, and what that what the the enormity of what that is, because you have every single piece of experience, every piece of the human condition is inside of you, waiting to be exploited. But yeah. if you're just worried about like looking cool for your peers or whatever, then you're not going to be, you know, at the rehearsals, just rolling around on the floor, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, because you want to be safe and you want to you don't want to offend anybody you want to um you want people well, to like you and so you, you end up turning in boring sanitized work and i think that's what's happening on a, on a broader scale um as far as a lot of the drama and the, the you know cinema that we have to produce it's just it's safe it's sanitized and uh, it's it's created by people who don't know how to dig into the cracks of you know and murk around in the basement of what it is to be to be human and they're, they're not telling the, these big rich stories anymore. It's just, you know, it's just formulaic and just kind of boring and stale and shallow. I agree. I will say in defense of the actor, though, every other aspect of your life as a professional is being scrutinized. It's, you know, just as soon as you tell your family you're going to do it, they're just like, all right, this kid, you know, all right, let's go through this phase. You know what I mean? All your friends are like, oh, you're going to go be an actor, huh? And then it's like, you know, uh, casting directors at the scrutiny that they give you and agents, the scrutiny they give you when you meet people in the world and it's like, you're an actor. It's like, well, what have you been in? Like nothing. It's like, oh, so you're a loser. So it's like there's this constant like scrutiny of just the fact that you're even trying to do this, that you, you, I and I know other actors too. It's like, you get this kind of stiffness almost around you because it's like, you're afraid to even step in and embrace what it is you're doing because it's, it's such a brutalized world. I mean, I, I, I never had a problem being rejected from auditions. It never bothered me. Like, obviously it would wear you down, but I never cared. The things that would really eat me up was when you'd go to like ha- have a uh, a meeting with an agent. And they would just treat you like you weren't even a fucking person. That was the shit that would always eat at me because it was that was the disrespect of like of my soul, of my character, of who I am. Whereas like you know, I turned into bad performance. I wasn't right for the role. Who cares? I mean, that's the job. It was all the other shit around it that really started to beat me up. And like, I see that that's like a, that's a big part of like you know, I can see why people have more inhibitions as an actor. Well, you know, a couple of things. I mean, it, it's nice work if you can get it, as as the show uh, says. Um, I I enjoy the work, but the industry around it is is what is where a lot of the problems lie. And um, you know that that's the thing is that the the people that we enjoy watching the most are are the ones who end up becoming the stars that we remember. They're the ones who are the, who are the most unique. One of my favorite stories is about. Um, how Dustin Hoffman scored the job, um, the lead role in The Graduate. 
And um, I haven't read the novel that the film was based on, but apparently the in the original novel, the central character is a sort of all-American, sort of a Robert Redford type, uh, you know, back when he was uh, young and gorgeous or whatever. And so they came down to the final two, the studios came down to the final two actors and they're, and they're doing their screen test for the role. I think one of the scenes they had to do was when he first meets, uh, or when Mrs. Robinson, if anyone hasn't seen The Graduate, they have to go see it. It's a really great film. It is. But, um, but it's like Mrs. Robinson's first kind of seduction of, um, of uh, gosh, lead, lead character's name. But in, in the novel, apparently he's just this all-American and like, uh, I think the other actor, I forgot who, who it was, but came in and gave what the what even the producers and the writers said was one of the best auditions they'd ever seen. On the other hand, Dustin Hoffman comes in and I mean, he knows it, but, you know, and he, and he kind of uh, parodied himself when he did the film Tootsie, but, you know, very neurotic, um, just very nervous, um, just and, and scared. And, and he left, Dustin left that audition feeling like he, he, he knew he had blown it. You know, there's no way he was going to get that job. And what the what the people behind the scenes said was that, yes, the other actor like fit the role physically and he gave a fantastic audition. It was perfect. But what Dustin did was was memorable and he was alive. You had no idea what he was going to do. So even though Dustin Hoffman is dying on the inside, I mean, I think there's there's a, a, a moment in Rain Man he talks about where um, he had there's a point where he had to go to an emotional place and he and he was frustrated with himself because he wasn't going. So he starts beating on his beating on himself he's beating on himself as an actor but that's the take that ends up in the movie in the graduate going back to the graduate there's a scene where he where mrs robinson does something that's really freaking hot and sexy and he doesn't know how to deal with it so he, he goes to the back wall and starts banging his head against it that was dustin hoffman taking out his frustrations as an actor you know in the scene but it was such lifelike behavior you know it's such random and it's so random and kind of weird but you know people do that kind of stuff i mean or you see um um Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker that that scene where he just climbs into the refrigerator like who does that's just yes. so weird. You, so yeah, you know yeah. so you know I, I guarantee you they were on set and Todd Phillips was like you know I'm gonna run this camera and you know Joaquin just do what you feel like doing and he probably did a bunch of crazy stuff and a bunch of different takes but something about him but, but something about him in the moment struck him and said I'm gonna get in this refrigerator and Todd Phillips had the had the um, wherewithal to say that's such a weird kind of a thing, but it's so appropriate because you have this character, Arthur Fleck, who's shutting himself off from the rest of the world in the most weird way possible. That's I mean, that's kind of a, a big element of the movie. But you have to have people who are that sensitive and who are that kind of smart and keen to uh, to recognize those kind of flashes of like brilliance. And there's and, and savvy. I, think, I mean, and, to Dustin Hoffman, man, like there's that famous line to I'm walking here completely improvised you yeah know he's I mean? in the that moment you know but but it's stuff like that but, but 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 you need actors who are who are ex who are eccentric that like that in a weird kind of way i mean de niro he, he's such a brilliant transformational actor by the way you can you can no longer say the word transform as i understand it because it's offensive to a certain group of people wow, but, um, wow. yes that's news you know, to me yeah, yeah it was news to me too when i heard it um but what I mean, are transformers we, gonna do we literally i don't know they're just the earth they're going to get um, pinged by the SPLC. Who knows? But um, it, 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 you need a level of you, you need a level of uniqueness. Robin Williams, I mean, great example. That that there's no one else like Robin Williams. There's no one else like Clint Eastwood. There's no one else like Sam Jackson or Lawrence Fishburne or Denzel Washington or James Earl Jones. But they came up at a time and in the system where 
merit was more of a thing and not telling some kind of a message. And, um, and it's not, we're not really in a culture now. I feel like that, that, that values that kind of eccentricity and that kind of uniqueness because we, we demand so much conformity. I'm like, since when is it not cool for artists to be individuals and be interesting and be controversial? That's kind of social media. So social media became the, the thing. But you know, but a lot of these people are just boring now, and and just it used to be. So the the whole point about that is just is we're I don't think we're a culture that really fosters uniqueness now in, in a broader sense. Now we we run away from it, even though we see as we were talking about as we got um as we got online before we got online, is that now the era of the movie star and the celebrity is kind of diminished if not over because we have all this access to these stars now, and we're seeing that they're not really as interesting as the random person who's sitting, you know, in his bathrobe or something, uh, giving his thoughts to to a webcam. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're just not, <laughs> we're like, yo, these normies are actually kind of really fascinating. And so, and, and unique in a way that these like clean, polished kind of um, hoity-toity bourgeois disconnected stars are, are not. Yeah. Yeah. And Real it's pretty quick. boring. I mean, it's like my favorite person to listen to is, is you know, Gary, like you know, from Nerdrotic. It's just like, you know, he's yeah. just a dude used to own a comic shop, like not a celebrity, not an expert, but it's like he he's the most fascinating person that I enjoy listening to. And it's, you know, I mean, how, how, do, how do you you can't manufacture something like that in Hollywood? You just can't do it. No. And a lot of these people, you know, like like Gary and, and Critical, I mean, they're or PewDiePie, they're building or Tim Pool, they're, they're building audiences organically and that they're building a following yes. organically. And it's not, they, they, there's not a, um, or Joe Rogan, you know, there's not this huge studio push, you know, to, you know, I, I had a publicist for a brief period and that's how people get, you know, they get tickets to like events and premieres and openings to big events. You know, their publicist is doing that for them oftentimes. And they get, um, you know, that's that's how they get features and puff pieces in the New York Times or Vanity Fair or or Variety or The Hollywood Reporter. Um, Deadline, not so much, but uh, that, that's more of a scoop kind of a thing or Entertainment Weekly. You know, there, there's a machine in place that that is sort of pushing. It's a marketing machine, but it's, it's pushing these particular actors onto the public and, you know, whether or not they belong there or not. Meanwhile, you have these content creators who are, you know, they're they're in touch directly with the audience. That's why you know it's it's so amazing to me that uh, you know I go back we go back to He Man about you, you see the the quote unquote critical reception, but then you look at the audience reception, and that that huge disconnect that's there. Um, there's just uh, there's the, the, it, we're at a time when we should be when we can be more connected and and aware of each other than than, than usual. It seems like the industry is kind of determined to just not pay any attention to any of that. And I think they're going to lose out um, in the long run if they don't sort of reorient the ship. Agreed. Yeah. Real quick, I have to get in uh, to a super chat, another super chat. My man, Goldman Kyle 79. Talk about cultivating audiences. A lot of these people have super chatted. They've super chatted before. And they're part. a lot of the people in the chat are kind of a part of our core audience who have been coming back week to week. So I want to thank all you guys. Uh, for being here, and of course, again, thank Clifton. And this this super chat uh, for five dollars, Gomer says, "Hell, VW, Matt, and Mr. Duncan." And he wants to thank you, Clifton, for apparently we were talking about singing earlier. You already uh, sung "Happy Birthday" for his wife Melissa, and <laughs> uh, he, he says, "I act like a damn goofy idiot for free." VW, if awake, 
Wake down is the head loony. I'm second in charge. Okay. Well, I appreciate you being here, and thanks for the super chat. And again, thank you. Apparently, you uh, that's that's who you sung happy birthday on FNT, I'm assuming. Unless you sung happy birthday before outside of that. Not sure. I don't know, but uh, thanks, Gomer Kyle. And I love your thank avatar. You. I love his avatar is uh, from uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which is yeah. one of my favorite. <laughs> Henry Swans is my name, and excitement's my game. <laughs> it's the best. God, I love that movie. You ever seen that, Clifton? You ever seen that Big Trouble in Little China? Um, no, actually, I haven't seen that. It's a John Carpenter film. It's just a masterpiece. It's just so much fun. And Kurt Russell plays this great, like, kind of John Wayne type American character, but he's like way out of his depth and, you know, uh, like sh really shouldn't even be here, but just has this like great, endearing, like, uh, you know, kind of everyman character that you really you, you follow and you, you want him to win, even though he's kind of a clown. He's kind of a joke, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a really awesome gem from the 80s. Nice. So many, they made so many of those in the 80s. You know, one of, one of my favorite things to do um, is to go and people I recommend people do this, too, is like go to YouTube and you look up um, old episodes of um, Siskel and Ebert and just mm. watch like the films that they talk about and they recommend. And there's a lot of stuff that that just got forgotten, but are really good movies that they that they talk about that was just of the time. And um, it's also funny because you begin to see that. Um, I, I won't say that the industry wasn't. Uh, the industry is definitely more "quote unquote" diverse than than it is now. But I mean, I will say that Cisco and Ebert—they were talking about a lot of different kinds of movies, um, you know, through the mm -hmm. '80s and the '90s, especially. But um, if anyone needs good movie recommendations, just just go down the YouTube rabbit hole and watch these guys argue about movies. It's so it's so delightful, and it and teaches you how to watch movies too on on a certain level as well. It's interesting. Yeah, I've never done that. Cool thing to yeah. do. Uh, well, then you cool. should. <laughs> I should, and I will, man. That's that's cool. I remember watching Cisco and Eber back in the day when I was younger, like the tail end of um, Cisco, and then um, who was the guy after uh, Cisco uh, had Roper. left and then unfortunately passed? Roper. Yeah, I do remember watching uh, Eber and Roper quite a bit as well. Yeah, um, I used I to get into a lot of that stuff, especially when I was, you know. Um, Kind of before the media, I think like I used to watch these guys who did the Hollywood Reporter and there, there used to be a lot of great resources. I mean, the entertainment industry in this country used to be something pretty amazing. You know, it really used to create a lot of great movies, a lot of great television things that, you know, like a lot of trash always. But I just there used to be kind of more of a collective passion of just like, how do they do it? Like what what makes a good story? What what are your favorite heroes and people sharing the things that they like? It's it's only until like, recently. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But it's only until recently that it became this kind of like it, it always kind of have a cult like thing, but it wasn't it was different. It's it, this is the like the first time it's become more of like, you know, corporate. Like, yeah. Like, you know, invasion of the body snatchers like, yeah. One of you know what I mean, like screeching <laughs> at someone who's a conservative. You know, it's it, that's relatively new, I think, to be this exclusive and this uh, cult-like. Um, you know, I mean, I wish we could go back to the days where the biggest problem with Hollywood is that it was just about money. Mm -hmm. Right? It yes. Were, it's arguable that if it were just if it were just about money, then a lot of the movies would just would be. I won't say it wouldn't be would be better, but. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there's a larger incentive there to make a movie that will resonate with people than yeah. as, as opposed to like making movies to fit 
that, that, that all your peers will pat you on the back for making. It's amazing what I used to complain about. It'd be like, oh, you know, they're making this Transformers 3 shit. They don't care about making good movies. They just want to make money. And it's like, oh, my God, I, I pray. I, I like, why did I say that? I wish they yeah. would just go back to making money. You know? Yeah, so I would kill for Bayformers compared to, to Wokeformers. Yeah. <laughs> or sure. Formers. Can't, you can't say trans anymore. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, well, Clifton, we one thing that we have done on this channel and uh, and my channel too is we try. We have tried to focus a little bit on things that we are enjoying, so that the entire yeah. conversation is not characterized with like you know negativity and vitriol. Like we did a stream uh, praising Dust Till Dawn uh, one time, which was a blast, and I, we have some others we're, we're planning on doing in the future. But um, what uh, what have you watched recently, or, or that you really enjoyed, or something that like you've revisited that you were like, oh God, I love this. Had that like a convigorating uh, spirit. Like, you know, I, I can think of a few things. Um, one, and it's kind of funny. I was, uh, I was. This is another time I was doing a, a guest star. I think I was down in Memphis, and I'm, I'm just, I'm in this hotel room, and um, I got a good hookup from, um, I think it was um, the woman that was doing my, that was uh, doing my hair for the duration of the shoot, and uh, she basically she had a good weed hookup, so I got, so I got a little bit, huh. and so I'm, I'm wandering around in circles in this uh, in this hotel room stoned um having just watched uh the tom cruise film edge of tomorrow oh right on and um yeah. and i was like i was so <laughs> i'm sure a part of it was the flowers but i was so emotional because i, I was like tom cruise he knows what his job is <laughs> he, you know what I mean? Because think about it, man. Again, I go back to like it's a it's a ridiculous job, but like like I mean, you both seen the movie, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You you remember that scene where he first figures out what's going on? Like he mm -hmm. he's died, and he's like, you know, and there's this long scene of him waking up and realizing he's back on the base, and like you know, he's seeing he's kind of re-experiencing everything, and the way that it's shot, there's this camera that's like panning around him, and and you know, and the way that. Cruz orients himself. I mean, again, this this is a skill that you develop over time. But he makes sure that there's never a point where his full face is out of frame, so you can always tell what the character is going through. And it pulls back, it pulls back. You see that he's on this base, and that there's this musical swell, and you know, combined with the, the sort of realization in Cruz's eyes. And now, now imagine that you're there shooting that day. And there's hundreds of all <laughs> hundreds of people, you know, gathered around. There's all this equipment pointing down in this one spot. Everyone has to be absolutely fucking quiet. And in the center of all this activity and machinery is this tiny man who's just going, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But when you see it on screen and you see it like combined with all the moments, you know, and and, and the music and the editing, and, uh, and and you know the color correction, all the things that come together to, to create this great moment. And Tom Cruise knows what his job is. His job is to sell that moment in the story where his character realizes I've just died, and yet here I am again. Holy shit! What's going to happen now? And you know, and later on in the film, he does some ridiculous stunt where he's like launched from some machine. I'm like, dude, this is like this. This is a dude in his fifties who's jacked. He's jacked out of his mind. I don't care, you know, what his religious beliefs are or whatever, but the fact that this dude throws himself and his body into his work a hundred percent, it's so it was so thrilling to me to see that because I was like, this is a movie that's made for pure entertainment. It tells an interesting story, it's got compelling characters, and it's got a cool concept. And I and I just I I just loved it so much. Another film recently that I saw 
Um, I loved it because it's just it's an idea of what movies could be and, and what it could do for an audience member. You know, you're, you're just swept away in this fictional futuristic world. And Emily Blunt is fantastic in that movie as well. Yeah. I think, you know, I would have loved to see what she could have done with Captain Marvel. Um, she's such a great actress, uh, in my opinion. But then, like I watched um, I was on a Clint Eastwood kick for a while. And um, so Unforgiven became one of my favorite movies of all time. You've got Gene Hackman. You've got Clint Eastwood. You've got Morgan Freeman. And it's a story about about men and what violence does to men and how some rise to the challenge and how others shy away from it and how men deal with the psychological aspects of, you know, of being a man. And be there, there's so much depth in the storytelling. And one of the and one of the greatest um, one of my favorite shots from that movie, it's late in the movie after Clint Eastwood has started killing again. He's sort of reverted to this old this old piece of himself his former self that, you know, that's been demonized throughout the whole movie. And Clint, I don't know how old he is, but I think he's in his 60s at this point making this movie. So his face, he's he's already got this angular face. It's got all these crags and wrinkles in it. There's blood streaming down both sides of his face. He's got these narrow slits for eyes. You know, it's, it's Clint Eastwood. And he look and there's there's a fire that's happening off camera and he's looking at it. And just the way that it's shot, the look on his face, the wrinkles, the blood, the dirt and everything, he looks like a demon. He looks like a demon. And it's one of these shots in the movie that's very artistically done. And it says so much with no words about where that character is right now. It's a visual medium. And you see that on Clint's. I mean, it's just such a it's a great movie. But then that moment, I'm just like, that's, again, why I I, I want to see more moments like that in the theater where I just I'm, I'm I'm looking at a monster on screen, but it's not really a monster. It's just this character who's like going through something. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of going off. And the last thing I'll say was a um, clear and present danger, the, the, the Harrison Ford movie uh, where he's playing Jack Ryan. I think it was the second movie he played Jack Ryan in after um, Patriot Games. And what I loved about that film, you know, it was it was political in a way like it, it wasn't super pro-America. Um, the American government definitely played a role in the film, but it wasn't seen in this great light. But meanwhile, you have, you know, this character at the center played by Harrison Ford and his one of his mentors played by James Earl Jones. Um, who I think symbolically is dying throughout the movie. Like James Earl Jones, his character is all about, um, you know, doing the right thing, how the government is supposed to serve the people and this um, and this bigger idea of what, of you know, the importance of patriotism and what America means. And he's dying throughout the movie. And uh, meanwhile, you know, the Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan character is sort of at the center of this plot that's being um, perpetrated against him by the US government that he's hired to serve. But what I love about that movie is that Jack Ryan, you know, he's he's an analyst. He's not really a fighter. He's not, you know, he's a he's a head guy. You know, he's not an action star, an action hero. He, you know, he can't he was in the Marines, but he can't really fight. But his his enduring trait is that he just he has integrity and he's honest and he wants to do the right thing. And that's what gives him strength. It's not his ability to throw a punch. It's not how well he can shoot. It's his ability to stand up for what he believes in and, and to do the right thing. And it's just a movie from the 90s, you know, that that it was so refreshing to see something like that, that that said, you know, you, you don't have to, it, it's a different version of what a man can be. There are moments in the film where he's relying on his wife just for comfort and just, you know, he's under a stress. He's living under a stressful time. I mean, it's just it's just there's something very deeply human about these kinds of things. And I, I, I mentioned before about how the old um, 
the old model, at least as far as Aristotle was concerned, is that you know when you're telling a tragedy, you're talking about people who are noble. And in other words, they are more, they are better than we are than than we tend to be as people. And a character like Jack Ryan in that movie kind of embodies that ideal, that story ideal, where this is somebody who's going to rise above all of the corruption around him and risk his life. I mean, he almost dies a couple of times, um, but he has to tell the truth and he has to do the right thing. And it's really just that simple. And um, so in terms of things that I've revisited, you know, it's a long, long, long winded answer to your question, but um, there's just a lot of really great, just old stories, the Casablancas, the Ghostbusters, um, I mean, to do the right thing. There's so many great films from just yeah. from previous eras that just that, you know, Goodfellas. I'm just thinking about all these great, great movies, these great experiences that, that carry you along. And, you know, they're a slice of life where they tell some kind of epic um, sort of <clears throat> insane story, but they carry you along with them. And um, that's what I think. Um, that's kind of what I think our job is. That's why I was, that's why I was crying <laughs> through my <laughs> through my THC induced haze. In that um, in that hotel room, because Tom Cruise knows. I mean, he's he's throwing his body around and doing all this crazy stuff because he wants to he wants to make sure that I leave the theater having gotten my money's worth and it, that that it's worth the time that I spent that I can't get back. I mean, I can make more money even in this economy, I guess, but I can't get back that time. And yeah. I think that the great artists, the great entertainers, they understand that you know the audience deserves for its money something that they can't see anywhere else, and something that they can never that they'll never forget. And when 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 you see something like that, um, and we and even if we don't have the vocabulary to talk about it, or we don't have Ivy League degrees, or we're not like masters or film buffs and breaking down this stuff, yeah. we know what we feel, and we know what we like, and we know what we take away. Um, as memories and as emotional experiences, as transcendent, like even spiritual experiences when, when we see stuff. And I know it sounds lofty and, and heady, no, but it man. yeah, rough girl. I remember those movies. I don't remember current. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and that's what yeah. I've been trying to trying to puzzle out the last couple of uh, months is like, what is it about? the? There seems to be a cutoff period because yeah. she's right. It's like, what 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 is what is being produced today? that we can say that we'll still be watching 50 years from now, the way that I watch On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando, the way that I watch uh, Kramer, Kramer v. Kramer with Dustin Hoffman, the way that I can still watch um, you know, Training Day or Malcolm X or Cry Beloved or, or Glory with Denzel Washington. Yeah. You know, like, or watching Pulp Fiction, the, the movie that really kind of uh, shot Sam Jackson, the stardom, it resurrected John Travolta's career. Um, going back and watching Bruce Willis and Die Hard play this 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 incredible character, this hero. I mean, are, are, what what is being produced today that is going to match the sort of classic standard uh, stature of the kinds of movies that we love and that we grew up watching? I just I just don't see it. I don't see it. Terminator right Dark Fate, surely. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but, but that's the thing. Like like you know, the, the, you, you I can go back and watch. I think Terminator Two is one of the best movies. Oh man, made. you want to talk about Brian? And, and that's right. Yeah. Like a grown man <laughs> when that right then. So I was watching. Um, I was looking up clips of a woman named Camille Paglia. If no one knows who she is, I would definitely look her up because she has some very interesting lectures and interviews about the state of the arts and cinema, um, specifically. But she was talking about. Um, uh, uh, she was talking about. She was on this panel and they had all these like, you know, people from different points of view. A lot of conservatives, you know, were, were talking and, and this guy, this conservative pundit talks about like, well, you know, the opening of of Terminator 2, you know, the, the, the main character comes down. He doesn't have any clothes on. 
And then he starts killing people just indiscriminately. There's no action. Da, da, da. I'm like, dude, the whole fucking point of the movie is that he learns to be human. He's a robot who learns humanity throughout the film. And then he, and he sacrifices himself to save humanity. That's what that's what's so moving about it. It's not just like you, you got to read deeper into this stuff. It, 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 these films stick around for as long as they do, because there's an underlying impulse to like to to explore just the extremes of humanity that that's just missing now in a in a world that's so cynical that can't produce anything but like but weapons or or Albert Maltz I, I, re, I refer to that um, that essay again it's it's just it's political leaflets they're leaflets they're pamphlets <laughs> that they're, yeah. you know you're supposed to have propaganda this it's propaganda well yeah but in, it's propaganda but it, it's not a good story and I mean sorry but you see that thumbs up from Arnold when he's going down into the lava and you're like I'm crying right now yes. I'm crying at, a, at a robot who is dying how is yeah. that yeah. what what have they done to me you know to 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 elicit these emotions out of me and I feel like there's just if you can do that with a bunch of CGI which still holds up and 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 your superstar, you know, English is a second language, and you know he's kind of a parody of himself, and yet you're still he's <laughs> delivering like these monotone one-liners, but you you're still able to create a compelling character and relationship, central relationship out of that. That's storytelling brilliance, and I just don't see that level of of care and and humanity and frankly craft in a lot of stuff that gets produced today. I think some films in the MCU for me. Um, Will endure, but that's also because you know I, I already had a vested interest in the material going in. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I don't see where the um, where the timelessness is. I think people are trying so hard to be timely, but but they're not being timeless. And I mean, what, what's what's today's Back to the Future? What's today's Star Wars? What's today's Indiana Jones or Alien? You know, I mean, the only thing I can think of that's left an impact on me in the past, I don't know, five years or whatever, is Joker. That's yeah. the only movie that comes to mind that was so powerful and so complex and genius and intellectually stimulating and visual and challenging and ugly and beautiful all at the same time. Like, that's the only movie I can think of. And I like not everything needs to be on that level, but that's the only thing that sticks out to me that's come out recently that I, I like will carry on with me. And Other also, isn't it amazing that that movie, as complex as it was, it made so much money, which leads me to think that perhaps the that perhaps the audience is not as dumb as you think, uh, yeah. as, as many in the industry appear to think that they are. Oh, yeah. You know, or I mean, uh, Jordan Peterson brings this up a lot. You know, the, the just the advent of this long form serialized television. We can handle complex relationships. I mean, I remember I, I watched. I watched the entire series of The Wire in like a two month period. I mean, I was depressed for a long time after that. But <laughs> yeah. one of the things that I enjoyed about the about the series is that it never insulted my intelligence, and it just it it, it presented these people as people with flaws and sometimes crazy solutions to just outlandish problems. Just and just, I mean, who who would have guessed that that a character like Omar, played by Michael K. Williams, would like just be a big kind of thing? Like you, I, I just. And you watch the journey and the development of that character over the over the span of time. It's just it's and that's a show that can deal it. that can deal with political issues and hot button topics and do it in a way that it's not preaching to you. It's no. not leading you to any kind of a conclusion. It's just displaying the world as it is and all its complexity and allowing you to kind of parse through it and come to your own conclusions or sort of you know just gain human empathy just by experiencing it. And it's 
it's infinitely more effective than any of the drivel they put out that thinks is fighting racism. I mean, like that, like the the amount of depth and insight you can gain from watching The Wire is worth, you know, I, I guess you're worth ten thousand of their projects because it's like the ten thousand of their projects will just make you, you know, uh, not want to hear anything from them. It's like they're they're so <laughs> it's just such a brilliant piece that it's it's like, and you know you know it's but that's the thing like. I don't know. It's such a complex conversation because even at the time, Hollywood didn't like recognize that like that guy got two Emmy nominations yeah. only in its fifth season. And the fifth season is the weakest one, the most Hollywood of, of the ones. And it's still like I still think it's underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's um, but, you know, I, I think people that watch it, they know that it's good. I just I, I just I guess my position um and one of the reasons I became so outspoken is that I just I think that I think audiences just deserve better. And I think that um, I also think in a broader, a broader sense, at least in American culture and society, uh, art and the arts and in general and artists in general, um, I mean, for a variety of reasons, uh, they're not all unwarranted, uh, uh, hold very low esteem. And yet, yeah. you know, we'll we'll. I mean, I can look at uh, the work of of Puccini or Dostoevsky or Shakespeare or Chekhov or you know Sophocles or Aristotle or whatever, and say like, "Wow, you know Rembrandt, Da Vinci, all these incredible artists um, who some were revered in their time and others weren't, but at least there was a culture that was like, we're gonna we're gonna dedicate ourselves to 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 doing this great work, and there will be a, a culture there to." support the really you know the best of the work um i don't know i don't know if that exists um in the united states maybe it's just because we're a younger a younger country and still kind of forging our culture but um i think because our culture is so in inerably linked to commerce and to and not that it, it hadn't been before or whatever but it's just that like the, uh, really corporation and corporate thought that the creation of culture for culture's sake, which has to be at the heart, like at the heart of whatever you're doing, you have to have a story that you want to tell. And that's why Hollywood is not what it is because they have a, a an agenda. They want to push the leaflets, the, the, the film as weapons as you uh, are as weapons, as you spoke about, but they don't have a, like, I need to tell this specific story about this character for the, you know, I just have to tell this story. I have to tell the story of Luke Skywalker going from a farm boy to a Jedi. I have to tell the story from Sarah Connor in the first Terminator being scared to in the second one, she's like this badass. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's progressed and she's smart and she's trying to get her son because she knows that her son is the future of humanity and she's trying to like train him at the same time keep him safe and, and think that about, progression think about that sorry but just just really briefly you know that is a that is a very deeply human recognizable uh uh trait it's a mother wanting the best for their child it is yeah. a mother it is a maternal instinct driving that character and that's what people connect to. It's not just the CGI. It's not just the one-liners. It's not just the violence and the action. There are deeply, deeply human things that people are glomming onto. There is a humanity at the center of these stories. There's a truth at the center of these stories. And that is why that they endure. So, sorry, I just have to interject that real quick. No, you're no, right. And, and that's what's missing from Hollywood, the humanity, the truth. 
the the instead of your truth, there is a a truth. There's a human experience. Yes. There's a human condition. Art is supposed to speak to and about the human condition in whatever form it's expressed, whether it's a song or a, 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 a painting or a film or a television show or a, even a podcast. I like to think there's an art to this. It, it's not supposed to be like you're, you. it's OK to want money from, it, but it's not supposed to be like this demographic point, because that's how we got down the slippery slope of SJWs is like. Looking at humans as like a not humans and, and dehumanizing your audience, and they did that to such an extent that oh, they're just the they're just the those wacky conservatives or those the the whatever word they're racist, they're this, they're they're toxic, and it's this way of dehumanizing the people you are trying to make art for, and in a way dehumanizing yourself because now you you're so bubbled you don't even have connections to like. Basic elements of the human condition, because now you're in this bubble cult that you've well, created. That's, that's part of the problem is that, <clears throat> and I try to explain to people that you have, think about how many people who become tenured university professors, think of how many people become uh, famous television pundits, think about how many people become famous singers, famous actors, rock stars, famous athletes, think of how many people become uh, you, you know, tech gurus in Silicon Valley, um, how many people become New York Times journalists, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And the, the point is that, you know, relative to the rest of the population, this this cluster of people, the movers and the shakers of culture, the, the, the writers, the musicians, um, the ad execs, frankly, um, Silicon Valley people, who, who are shaping our very perception of reality in many cases. Yeah. Um, they, they, this is, this is a small cluster of people. I call them the reality cartel. They, they're a small cluster of people who have a disproportionate influence on, on the broader culture. And it wasn't really till I got, I mean, I knew this as a New Yorker for 15 years, but you know, whenever you leave the city, I mean, you, you don't even have to go that far out of Manhattan, uh, before you start hitting, seeing that the state is actually quite red. It's just New York city, this, this central kind of hub. I know it's the same in California. The big cities are blue. When you get out to the less big cities, you have a little more variety in thought. And so, you know, I'm down in a city like Atlanta right now and experiencing the same thing. It's like, you know, normal people on the ground, they actually have other concerns in their life that have nothing to do with uh, with woke liberal politics. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they, they have much more immediate pressing concerns, you know, feeding their families, keeping their lights on, dealing with medical expenses, um, you know, all kinds of things. So they're, they're more preoccupied uh, than <laughs> than most of us are with uh, they're, they're less preoccupied with these cultural issues. But people in the industry are super consumed with these with these topics and they think that they think of themselves as avatars and you know they want to change the world which is a phrase i've been hearing for the past 20 years and i'm freaking annoyed we're gonna change the world man i'm gonna change the world i'm gonna shock the system you know and it's and you know i'm gonna what now now what they're saying is i'm gonna use my platform to, da, 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 da. no stop using your fucking platform nobody cares about your platform you know what I mean? Like everybody has a platform now if they, yeah. if they want to build one. So your platform is not special. Your, your, your shit is not more special than mine. Um, it's also presumptuous that you have all these answers that the rest of us need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know the way the world is. It's it's very, uh, I don't know. It's, and it's you're in an industry what, which completely clusters you away from that for, for a variety, a variety of reasons. I mean, even the idea of just like 
you know, someone taking open, uh, opening the classifieds or, you know, or ads or whatever, just, just trying to find a job. I mean, if you have a great agent and manager, you know, they send, they send you stuff. You just, you just live your life. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully you're doing well enough where, <clears throat> you know, you might be on unemployment for a little bit. You, you know, you might be drawing money from residuals. Maybe you did a show, a couple of shows. Um, you know, you got royalties coming in. If you did a, if you did a, a Broadway cast recording, you've got monies coming in from a variety of, uh, of places. And so you just kind of get to exist. And then when uh, an audition comes in, you know, I mean, you might chase after be like, hey, I want to I heard about this project coming up. I want to, you know, get me in for that. But once you get to a certain place, you have casting directors, you have theaters, you have different producers reaching out to you to say, hey, are you interested in doing this project? Or, hey, do you do you we would like for you to read this script uh, to see if you even want to audition in the first place or you get a job offer anyway. So once you reach a certain point, you're past that stage where you're like, I'm hustling for work and hustling, trying to find a job and trying to find how the lights work because you you're, you're just you're you are insulated from all of those from all of those things. And. You know, once you get the job, you know, the studio or whoever's producing will fly you out to wherever you're shooting and put you up in a hotel and so much more of your of your worries are taken care of. And if you're if you're really lucky, you know, you're making a lot of money. And if you do, you know, you take one guest star appearance and you don't have to work for another couple of months, at you know, at least. And so you get to kind of coast in life in a way that a lot of people just don't have the luxury of doing and just yeah. so on just that level. You just don't live the kind of life that other people lead and you don't have the kind of practical concerns that other people have in their lives. I mean, it's just it's a huge it's it's a disconnect that it's just I don't know how you square that circle other than like people uh, at the top. It's it's a very bourgeois industry now and um, and it services an increasingly uh, an, an audience. They're, they're servicing an audience that has the same bourgeois values as opposed to like the more, I guess, Utilitarian, sort of salt of the earth, um, moderate kind of We're the broader America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the plebs, the plebs, the plebs. I, uh, gentlemen, I got to dip out. Sorry, I apologize. Um, you yeah. guys can continue this conversation, but I got a boogie. Uh, okay. So, Clifton, man, it was great talking with you. Thanks for thanks for coming on, man. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Anytime, dude. Anytime. Uh, and chat, lovely to see you all. Thank you so much, Ogre Squasher. You fund my life. You're the best. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Rough girl, such a dildo tree rock. Uh, everyone who was here, Gomer Kyle, love you guys. And I will uh, see you all around. See you around soon. So all take right. it easy. All right, all right peace, man. man. All right, later. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably wrap up in a little bit. We usually go about two hours. Um, but you know what? I have. Uh, yeah, I talk a lot. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the, the insight you brought. And I just appreciate as a guy. Who's like always messed around? I'll say messed around with music. I've always been interested in art and talking about art and people who think deeply about art and think deeply about the the not just the technical aspects but the emotional aspects. And I think you've been able to break a lot down on, along those lines. But I have a couple of uh, quick thoughts. Uh, first off, I just shout out to Rough Girls. Been great in the chat. Uh, we, we brought up Pulp Fiction. She has a Sam Jackson moment where you it's a, say subvert one more motherfucking time, basically. <laughs> a lot of uh, subversion goes. But I, I have this question I, I wanted to ask you. Um, so we've talked about franchises subverting expectations. Sorry, rough girl. Or altering the franchise. And there's a lot of things. There's a lot. The huge thing in the streets are, are race swaps. Um and, and taking a character that was traditionally white 
and making that character either black or I've heard like all sorts of names. What's it called? Bame or something like that? Where black and other yeah. minorities and something like that or something BIPOC, like that? BIPOC, Bame, all those. BIPOC. All those. We're not people anymore. Things. We're just acronyms. But yeah, continue. yeah, that's that's tolerant and progressive, apparently. But like, so as an actor, as someone, you talked about how this this industry is and how just working is is the the um, not the rule; it's the exception. Um, would you ever, if you're offered, you know, a a, a black Superman, you're you're black Superman. We, we're coming to you, Clifton Duncan. Uh, and if so, how would you treat that role, knowing the kind of like the the, the legacy now of these race? I mean, some have been successful. We mentioned Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury, and then others not so much. What are your thoughts on on, on from an actor's perspective? I uh, think a race swap um, character. Um, I think a few things about it. For one, um, on one level, I think it can be very insulting and demeaning because it's. You're taking a. You're not building anything new with these characters. You're just. You're. It's a. It's a hand-me-down uh, franchise. You know. It's. It's the equivalent of saying, "Well, you need this handout from this. Um, from this progressive institution." And 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 here you are, Darkie. We're going to lift you up. Yes. You know. Basically, uh, yeah. I feel if you can't do it yourself. That said, I mean, it also depends on the character. You know, if it, if if I were to play. Uh, uh, if I were offered, you know, Superman, it's tough because on one hand, you're like, well, as an actor, again, unemployment is the rule and not the exception. You know, when's the last when's the next time you're going to get a chance to play Superman and have this kind of role in the limelight? I think if it's true that Michael B. Jordan was offered it and they turned it down, I mean, I think that that speaks to his savvy. Yeah, but without uh, just producing his own is, is what it looks like. Well, you know, I mean, do, do your thing. I mean, but at the same time, if 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 it came down to someone were like, hey, you know, we want you to audition for Cyclops. Then I would reconsider because, you know, as far as I understand about his story, you know, <laughs> his his race isn't that important, but I think it's just an interesting character. So I, mm -hmm. again, I said, I, I'm in the middle of these things because on one hand, I'm like, well, it's insulting. I don't, I don't want to be a diversity hire. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, and people have already gone through this. I mean, Denzel Washington went through this. Uh, he was cast in the Pelican Brief opposite um, Julia Roberts. And uh, apparently, I think it's John Grisham. It's a Grisham film or mm -hmm. based on a Grisham novel. And Grisham originally protested Denzel Washington's hiring because he was like, well, I didn't want uh, I didn't write this for a black man. I, you know, I wrote it for a white man or whatever. But yeah. it's Denzel Washington. <laughs> and yeah. you know, the movie is the movie is fantastic. Um, and uh, it doesn't suffer for it. So I think you kind of. I take it on a on a case by case basis. If there's something that that can, if there's something that can be added to the character, that I can add to the character, with my personal history or, or using a certain aspect of my identity, then I think that's interesting and it can be illuminating for a character. Um, you know, you might be able to rewrite Cyclops's background with from a traumatic childhood, you know, from a different angle. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, with with the timing the timing being as it is. And I'm thinking of making a video about this as well, is that I think a lot of the quote unquote woke casting is actually backfiring on on um, on actors of color in, in, <laughs> in, a, in a negative way, because I think what is going to begin to happen if it's not happening already is that as soon as audiences start seeing uh, uh, you know, a, a, a dark skinned face 
or they start seeing, um, you know, Roy G. Biv hair and they start seeing, yeah. you know, pronouns and bios, then they're immediately going to switch off and say, well, obviously this person got this job because not, not because they're talented, but because the filmmakers are trying to say something and they're trying to uh, provoke me in some way. I mean, like I, I think about what happened with the um, recent uh, The Sandman with Neil Gaiman and the, the controversy yeah. over the death character. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I wasn't a fan of the initial backlash because I was like, you know, honestly, it shouldn't it, it shouldn't matter that much. You, you, like you don't know what they're going to do with like hair and makeup and special effects and to bring that character to life. But at the same time, you understand why people are complaining because they see this shit happen over and over again to franchises yeah. that they love. And it sucks. I have a lot of thought in a way. You, well, and, and if I'm the actress at the center of that, if I'm the actress hired, if I'm the black woman hired to play Anne Boylan, if I'm the black woman hired to play Death, if I'm the black man hired to play Superman, now I have to contend with a, a public that is already going to be against my casting just because they think that my casting is being used um, as a tool to to communicate some kind of agenda. It's not about that. That's why I envy guys like Denzel or James Earl Jones or Sam Jackson or Lawrence Fishburne. You know, they were able to come up at a time. I mean, I love Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. Who, who would have guessed the guy playing Ike Turner to such great effect would come around and play this this character who has great gravitas and can fight and and just has all this going on. You know, there's just. But now I feel like it's a big political statement every time you get cast or, you know, I mean, I never got into um, I keep saying I never got into acting to be an activist. I just wanted to play great roles and tell, you know, great stories. And it just happened to be something that I, that I was good at or am good at. You know, I don't have any other agendas outside of that. But now it seems increasingly like you like the activism and and the advocacy has to take precedence over the art and. I think because of that, it's happening on so many levels that it's going to begin to push audiences away every time they see an actor who isn't white. You know what I mean? I, I, that's, yeah. that's the fear of, of, of the backlash that I, that I see coming. Um, I mean, I would like to I work agree with that. on, on I, I mean, I just, I just want to work on really cool stuff. And, you know, and people say like, you know, why can't, if that's the case, if you can play, you know, a, a Cyclops, then how come, you know, Chris Evans couldn't play Luke Cage? Well, the issue that um, <clears throat> there's a, a practice happens in theater. It also happens in the opera as well. It's been happening longer in the opera from what I understand, but it's called colorblind or non-traditional casting, which is what it sounds like. You know, a role is written in a particular way and then someone of a you know a different race or gender occupies that role. And oftentimes it doesn't work in reverse because a character like Luke Cage, him being black is is central to the given circumstances and the reality of that world. And mm -hmm. um, you know, if you tried to cast white actors in a raisin in the sun, it doesn't work because mm -hmm. then the plot line yeah. where where you have this white uh, neighborhood representative come in and try to pay the black family to not move into their neighborhood, it doesn't that that plot doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So it, it's it, it's it's a it's a double standard, and um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of conservative minded people, don't really understand why Hamilton is kind of a thing. Um, you know, it's like, well, how all these <laughs> all these minorities are playing all these founding fathers. Like, why can't we do the yada yada yada? Yeah, the founding and, fathers didn't rap. What the hell is this? Yeah, but it's yeah. like, but when like you watch it, it's like it's actually it's a it's a cool theatrical novel, interesting way to tell to tell that particular story. But you know, it wouldn't work. <laughs> you can't you can't you can't uh, you can't tell Amistad with a bunch of white boys. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah people, would be awkward. people would be like, what are you doing? But, but I, maybe I, you I, should. Maybe you should try to be a punk rock shocking thing. Like, you know what? We're gonna have a bunch of gingers do Amistad. Yeah, yeah, that, that'll be that'll be awkward. But I, I just but for me, you know, it's it's just tough because um, you know, I, I've built a career, I built a I built a resume of just a variety of of roles. I say that I'm a I'm a I'm a character actor in a leading man's shell. You know, I, I just I I I can transform and you know I have a certain temperament and a certain emotional access and a certain kind of sensibility and approach to my work and a certain aesthetic and a certain appetite for the kind of work that I like to do. And that's been trained into me and that's grown as I've worked uh, over time. And then I get all these scripts and it's just it's it's script after script scene after scene about you know black victimization and it's pushing oh over this this it's trying to craft this worldview i mean i tweeted about this a few weeks ago i got this audition for a series regular on um, i call him a, i call him a dick wolf one of the dick wolf shows mm-hmm. and um you know roll right up my alley as a doctor you know he's got a strong heart nice guy i mean it just would have been a great role but then i get to the last page of these scenes that i'm liking but then there's just this this um Social, racial justice kind of narrative that's inserted into the scene. And it, it, I, I often think, you know, how much more prominent, how much more of a name, how much more famous would I be if I were able to just put my principles aside and say, you know what, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm making this kind of money. I, I can show up to the set every day and do this this garbage that I don't believe in, you know, that that's putting forth this um, worldview that I don't agree with and that I think is actually not reflective of reality and that's a straight up lie. I mean, there are certain films that like are award-winning films that have been released in the last five years or so that garnered all this praise, but they just they're based on true events and they're just straight up wrong, but they push a narrative. And yeah. it's like I just I can't I can't do that. But as a black actor, sometimes I feel pigeonholed. We used to be it used the the the, the story used to be that we were pigeonholed as thugs and um, and criminals or whatever and that has not been again I'm, I'm overlooked but that's not been the experience for me what, what's been the experience for me is that i'm pigeonholed now in roles that are an afterthought there's sort of a diversity it's like oh you know we just need a black person and um we're gonna hire yeah. a black person for this role regardless of whatever the cultural background might be whether, whether or not it fits it, it's a good fit or not and so i feel like a token uh oftentimes or i feel like i'm, I'm being asked to not be an artist you know, or or even just a an, an actor, I'm I'm being asked to be a proponent of of a worldview that I just don't that I don't share, and that's what's difficult for me is I feel pigeonholed and tokenized uh, in that way. I'm a mascot for a lot of white progressives as opposed to my, yeah. an, an independent artist with talent and a career and training to match um, and chops to match. Um, you know, my my lofty talk. Well, now that 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 leads a follow up question, and you mentioned earlier. Um, doing some writing and producing is the answer then for Clifton Duncan, maybe getting on the other side of the board and, and create you talk to you keep talking about the writing, you keep talking about the writing you're seeing, even when you see good, you know, you mentioned even seeing good stuff and then you get to the end and this agenda, or not necessarily seeing good stuff is the answer for Clifton Duncan to be on the other side of this and, and start to do a lot of writing and creating yourself then. Yeah, it's not it's not enough to be to be an actor. Um, you know, you, you have to actually create and you have to build things. That's one of the reasons that I'm going back. I'm really trying to get back to the roots of. I mean, I have ideas that I've, that have been swimming around uh, forever, but it, it really has to get back to the roots of like what 
what is art? What is the point of art? What what are what is the point of of storytelling? What is it about stories? Um, what what is it that endures about certain stories and doesn't work in other stories? Um, you know, you go back and and read. It's not just Aristotle, but it's you know the the works of Sophocles and Aeschylus and Aristophanes and you know all of the all the greats from the past. You know, a few hundred years after that, you know, you're talking about your Shakespeare's and your George Bernard Shaw's and uh, your Ibsen's, your your Chekhov, one of my favorite writers, or even up to the last century, August Wilson, one of our greater play uh, great playwrights. Um, what is it that makes the work that these people do endure, and why do these people endure? And um, whatever it is um, that I end up pursuing, it it has to be along it has to be along those lines, and it has to it has to be something that's worthwhile, and that that. Um, that aims for timelessness as as, a, as opposed to um, timeliness. So in whatever capacity I can, I think I'm learning more and more of uh, what the important things are and that and that I have to be a producer of some sort um, in, in order to uh, put stuff out there. But then it goes back to what we were saying before, which is that it's it's difficult to get that. but I but I feel like we're in an era now where if you know if if I were able to build a big enough fan base and following, um, you know, then there's enough people out there who who would say like, I believe in what you're doing, so I'm going to donate, you know, to your cause and see what you can you can get done. Um, that that's an avenue that that avenue that didn't really exist uh, in the past, and I think that's worth being worth exploiting as well. But I think at, at the core of it, it also it just has to be about um, it has to be about what the what the stories are and what the art is. You know, art for art's sake. I think that's not a bad thing. I think that we have to kind of return to that and to and to um, think we need more artists to understand that what they do is actually worthwhile, even though the rest of society is telling you that, you know, you need a plan B or that you need to get a real job. Um, I think a lot of people internalize that and they don't, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing and that, that transcends politics and ideology, um, honestly. And, yeah. you know, so it, it, the solution is creating better work and making sure that people have access to that, to that work as many people as possible so they can share it around and um, be inspired by it and, and hopefully pay you to do more of it. Yeah. And that's the hope. I just tossed the channel in the chat. Um, I should probably toss the socials and everything else in the chat. I, I really, you know, as somebody who, who just wants good entertainment and just wants the, the, the art that we grew up with, the stuff that we took for granted, um, I'm definitely interested in what you have to do next, either as an actor or as a producer and writer. And I think that is possible. And I think there is a, a, a market for it um, financially and emotionally. And, 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 and if you will, spiritually or just from whatever point, because even people who can't necessarily break down or, or put to words what they feel about a, a particular movie or, or film or or TV show ongoing series or I mean whatever you consider streaming they can tell when it's good they can tell when they connect to it even if they don't know why or when it's bad I, I always bring up my mom who's been a Queen Latifah fan for 30 years and when she saw the equalizer she said this is just terrible and <laughs> I'm like my mom is a, I don't want to give her age but she's a she's a, a black woman of a certain age and so she's the market by getting Queen Latifah you're trying to get her to watch and you've put her off and you don't mm. understand why you've done that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, you can't keep, 
you can't keep assuming that you're better than the people that you're trying to serve. I mean, one of my favorite um, analogies is is a restaurant. You know what I mean? You can't <laughs> you can't you can't serve nasty ass food and then when the customers <laughs> complain, be like, well, it's because there's something wrong with your taste buds. It's like, no, motherfucker, it's your you food. Racist, you got racist taste buds. That's exactly. Your your mouth is racist. Have you considered? Please read this pamphlet on diversity <laughs> and inclusion and equity and fix your and fix your palate, you bigot. Yeah. But uh, but that's that's what we're doing, um, and you know I, I think one of the things that I've learned over the past year. I mean you know I, I appreciate you giving out my um, my YouTube in the chat. I mean I've been posting mainly uh, Shakespeare videos, and the response to those has been extraordinarily positive. And that tells me it's like no man, like people people want this stuff um, if it's done well and it's communicated clearly. Um, they they want more of it. And, you know, and they ask like, well, can you read this poem next? Or, or what about this one? Oh yeah. I remember when I had to do this back in high school, yada, yada, yada. Like that was really cool. And, uh, you know, I didn't understand it, but I'll, you know, I'm still supporting you. I'll give you a sub. You know, they, they want to see, I think people out there want to root for people that they want to root for and they want to support them, uh, financially. Um, you know, for, they want people who aren't going to condescend to them. Um, uh, yes, since that that is this is actually cultural appropriation by yeah. philosophers. That that is what a fact. Um, well, well, here's the thing: because we have people who have established just these wonderful elements of culture, and you can absorb what the greats have already done, and you can build on that for your own particular time, or you could take whatever your own point of view, your own temperament, your own creative abilities, and you can you know, absorb those lessons and, and, and maybe create something new. I mean, I really feel like I'm in an, I'm in a time where or we're in an era where we need to kind of step back a little bit to go forward. And definitely, definitely. you know, we, I mean, and, and it's funny because it happens in so many mediums. We were talking about comic books earlier. The only stuff that I read is the old stuff now. Yeah. And, you know, I watch these movies and I watch the, I watch the old movies. I don't, I don't watch much of the new stuff. Um, I read these plays. I mean, these these old plays, they they work. We still we still perform them hundreds of years later for a reason. It's because they say something about who we are and they're a reflection of not only the society and culture of that particular time, but they, but of who we are as people. I mean, cultures change and civilizations kind of change, but what motivates people has remained a pretty constant for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. And um, you know, we're we're a part of we're a part of a big human chain. And I think if you forget that in the service of a particular ideology, then your art inevitably will turn people away because it's not going to resonate and it's going to fail. Because people aren't going to be able to see themselves in it. You can you can tell a story about um there's a movie called Gun Hill Road, which is a coming of age story about a young um trans a, a, a young man who transitions into a, a young woman. And it's and it's a coming of age story. You know, there's awkward dates and trying to find a peer group to fit in. But it's a, it's a slice of life. And it's like, you know, it's the challenges of of puberty times 10. Yeah. And that's, and that's a compelling story to, to, to look at. And, and people might come away watching something like that and be like, oh, I had no idea about, you know, I, even if I think it's weird, there's still some elements about the life that I just didn't understand. And like, there's, yeah. there's a humanity there. And that's going to do more to win people over um, than telling them that they're bigots if they don't um, accept these people. It's like, no, th these people are people like everybody else. And you tell yeah. the story from that presumption. You know, I had, I had so people teacher. connect. Everyone can connect to awkwardness, or, or even if it's not that specificness, you're still speaking to to something human and something uh, 
universal. Well, I well, the universal is the word. I had a teacher who once said, and and I think about it all the time that uh, like we, we hear oftentimes that the personal is political, but I had a teacher who um, this brilliant woman named Zelda Fitchandler, may she rest in peace. Uh, she said that the more personal something is, the more universal it becomes. Whereas all we hear is that the personal is political. The personal can be political, but the personal is also universal. And, you know, we all have stories about the time that, you know, about times we were, we were jealous with, with rage or, or we yeah. had our hearts broken or, you know, we, we had to struggle to get, you know, that we, we all have our struggles and, and different things in life. And if people are honest about that and they put that forth in their art from a, from a human perspective and, and express it in a powerful way, then everybody's going to, you know, going to be connected to that in some way. I mean, people are crying that E.T. is an alien. There's something, yeah. about <laughs> There's something about that story that's going on that, that that that's touching people at a deeper level. It's not just about this weird brown thing on screen whose fingers light up. It's it's deeper yeah. than that. It's yeah, and I I talked about crying a Terminator even in the, as an adult, even as an adult. That's it's one thing to get me when I'm younger. When I was an adult and then re saw it, I'm like, man, that that just still hits, and, and it's. Yeah. It, it's it's something about like you said human humanity really hasn't I mean we've changed but we really haven't changed in thousands of years the culture the cultural elements change but the basic things that run humans and the basic things that motivate us um, are still the same real quick uh, just shout out to Dolph Stilo who uh, this great show I appreciate everybody in chat he just uh, wanted us uh, he had to go and uh, we appreciate you. Um, but uh, you know what? Is there any? This has been an incredible conversation. Um, I, I really appreciate your insight on a, a lot of things and like your understanding. And I hope uh, everyone listening kind of got the like the, the way you think about art is something that maybe and thinking about acting and thinking about the craft and thinking about the elements of storytelling. Uh, it, it, I appreciate that insight because I, you know, as I would consider myself a lay person with it, when it comes to film, just somebody who watches movies and like them. Um, it, it, it really kind of, I'm trying to think of the word, um, educates, not necessarily indoctrinates, but educates us on like what should be happening and, and, and what your, what the actual intentions of an actor or of a, a story are. And I hope that I'm not even going to say Hollywood because I, I honestly don't necessarily have the most of hope for Hollywood to change. Um, if economics aren't that they're, you know, in game, then I think we're, you know, it has to be an independent thing if it is to happen. Um, but I, I, I really hope the best for your career, not just, you know, because you're a good person, but because we need people who think that way to be making art. And to be for, for the culture for you know not you know that's kind of a catchphrase. But for the culture of humans, for the culture of Americana or, or or humanity in general, we need good stuff. We need good stuff to watch. We cannot just keep getting these pamphlets because it's not even people. Are, I mean, yeah, people are still getting mad, but it's just the same. Something has to advance. And you you brought up a story about a trans character and. If stories were more about universal concepts, I think a lot of what they purport to be accomplished, uh, talking about the SJW left or however you want to turn them, would actually be accomplished. So thank you for coming on the stream. I appreciate your insight. Uh, but is, uh, 
any, any thoughts on that? Anything else that you want to to say or plug or talk about uh, before we uh, get out of here in a little bit? Um, not much, I, I, but I do think that, um, I mean, look, we can look at, at Russia and, you know, they had all these great composers, novelists, uh, uh, musicians, writers, um, playwrights, I should say, that came out of there. You know, we look at France and Italy, uh, their painters, their playwrights. Um, we look at the Greeks, you know, their, their works on philosophy and social organization, various aspects of life and art. What kind of art is, the, is American culture producing? That's what it boils down to. There was a time where, you know, our Hollywood industry was like second to none and, you know, the cinematography and the stories and, you know, that, that's why it is as big as it is today. Um, you know, jazz music or, you know, even, uh, even, I mean, people have issues with this, but I mean, the way that hip hop culture has taken over the world, I mean, what are, is, is our, but even then, you know, people say the golden age of hip hop was like what the '90s, maybe the the, yeah. the early 2000s at the latest uh, was was over. So, yeah. since, and that since then, I mean, what what kind of what kind of cultural artifacts are we going to leave behind? Are our best artistic days behind us? And I think, as an American society, what are we going to look to? What are we going to produce that's going to outlive us? And right now, you know, I, I don't know what what that's going to be. There was a point in the mid 20th century up to, I think maybe, you know, just the late 20th century where we were producing great plays, great music, um, great films. But, you know, what are we doing right now? I mean, we, you know, we're, we're, are we going to look to influencers and, and TikTok, TikTokers for our great, I mean, and maybe I'm thinking about it, um, and too square and too old a fashion, but I think that the broader the broader point is what uh, is what what our culture is and what 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 our what our cultural priorities are. And I just I think that a, that a culture that is not healthy, I think I think if the art of a culture isn't healthy, most deaf said this at um, Black on Both Sides. He's like, you want to know how hip hop is doing? Ask how the people are doing. Well, I look mm -hmm. look at look at look at the art that we're producing. I think it's a reflection of how the people are doing and how the society is doing. And I think a lot of people feel that there's something missing. And I think that that's a reflection of what's missing um, in us as 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 a culture and society right now. I know it's a very broad statement, but that's sort of where I'm getting at. So the important thing is to try to, for me, maybe to be an ambassador to try to get more people in and just recognize the importance of art. I mean, a lot of great art has always has always been underground, to be honest, but now we have access to it because of the internet. So maybe that's what the next step is. Um, I think it I mean, is. I can go. I can go about this for, forever. Yeah, as, as you might imagine. I know we got to go. I, and I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I really didn't do. And now I, I got to kind of add on. You talk about hip hop. So, like, I remember in high school, and it sucks being from, I'm actually from Detroit, and I didn't listen to enough of his music when he was alive, but I remember when Jay Dilla and Mad Lib were doing music, and, like, my, like, crunk was the big thing, and I hated it, because I'm not, like, a club guy, but, like, Jay, Jay Dilla, Mad Lib, and MF Doom were, like, my holy trinity of hip-hop. Jay and this Dilla is, is one of the best producers who has ever lived. Yes. Bar none. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually just recently bought one of the samplers that he made famous, the, the SP-303, and I don't know how to use it yet, but I got to learn. <laughs> uh, but got to learn. I want to learn. 
But like I, that technically all happened outside of the quote unquote go nay. So the, the piggyback off this point, shout out to Danny Brown, also a Detroit rapper. Uh, but uh, great art went underground, and I and it took years for a lot of that stuff to be appreciated. You know, at the time, mo- most people heard of Jay Dilla after he passed. I remember when he was JD still, mm-hmm. and he changed his name because he didn't want to confuse with Jermaine Dupree. Like right after he uh, left Slum Village and the Welcome to Detroit, and that came out late nineties and stuff, and everyone hated him because of Tribe Called Quest. I remember that era live and stuff like that. Um, but like. Though those type of artists, even if it took a while, you brought up some artists get more claim, you know, some get it while they're alive, some afterwards. But like the art to me will last. Maybe we don't know what the, the best movie of 2020 and 2021 was because maybe we won't hear about it until a few years. Like, oh, it was this great thing that gets a cult like following years after the fact. But I feel like art will survive because humans can't help but to try. There's going to be someone who's going to make a movie or a song or a painting or something that moves people because there's always someone who needs to make that to, to, you know, make art for his art's sake and express it. And then eventually, you know, the cream will rise to the crop uh, to the top, uh, so to speak. So that's my, at least my optimism about uh, where that, 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 and it may not come from the corporate system of Hollywood. Um, I think underground has to become bigger. And I think with YouTube, I mean, TikTok as it currently is is just a bunch, you know, a bunch of girls twerking or whatever. But like, if someone can make that into an art form, maybe there is some great art to add on TikTok, and we and it, it just hasn't happened yet, or it has, and I haven't found it yet. Yeah, you know, I, I don't mean to be doom and gloom. I mean, I think about um, about music, especially. There's so many cool people doing so many cool things, and we have access to that because of the internet. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are also brilliant people around the world that are. Um, that are doing things, and uh, but now they have more access to it. So uh, I think it's about creating access and you know and building it for more people. And and I think um, I think the opportunity now is for you know artists who do. I mean, I, I would even even some years ago, I had friends complain about you know well I lost out to this role that I tested for because they gave it to somebody with two million uh, uh, Twitter followers. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you actually have talent and ability. You could be that person. But yeah. you know, I had an ex-girlfriend say, "I don't want to get famous like that." And it turns out she won't be getting famous for doing anything uh, at this point. But it 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 just you, you can't overlook this powerful tool that we have, and uh, <laughs> it don't happens to everybody. Man. It happens to everybody uh, sentient. We all get out, yeah. It don't happen to you too, friend. Um, <laughs> so you know, so yeah, there are people doing great things out there, and I can't you can't discount that at, at all. And uh, thank. God, we have the internet uh, because we have access to these brilliant, talented people. And now we have avenues. One of the things that I think is the coolest that we have avenues to pay these people now, you know, for the the cost of a cup of coffee, we can say like, I I support what you do and uh, here you go. So I I, I tip that up up to you so you can do your spilling, my friend. Yeah, uh, actually, I want to speak in a wish to you because somebody, I think it was the wake down, said, make sure you, uh, because people want to give you money. People want to compensate you for what you already done. It says, make sure you you learn to set up stream elements. Um, Yeah, I saw that comment. I got to learn how to do that. I got to look that up. Yeah, uh, there's a video that I found that that taught me. um, One thing that's the huge thing that people forget, you have to make stream elements one of your mods. And that allows, that's why this, this bot shows up. And is able to post stuff because he, it's an automated thing that you 
is a mob. But yeah, I, I, if you want to learn, yeah, I'll definitely teach you because I think you know people do want to compensate this. People, uh, so <laughs> Ron Martin says twenty years from now, did you see the legendary vigilante ways and the Clifton Duncan stream? <laughs> legendary, yeah, maybe, maybe this is one of those streams that goes viral later, or who knows. But that's, uh, yeah, people do want to support you because people, again, there's a yearning for this stuff. There's a yearning for, there's a yearning for good, good entertainment. It's, yeah. Oh, this one person, uh, New Bomb Turk, says, I, I found more bands and artists through YouTube than I had ever heard through the radio. And I think that's what yeah. a lot of, I mean, I haven't owned a TV in over a decade. And I mean, I just, I stick to the internet and I find so yeah. many um, interesting people. And, and uh, yeah, you know, I think one of the cool things about now is that you don't, it, the whole model of like we have these stars that are kind of you know uh, sectioned cordoned off from society and they're kind of lead these mysterious lives and they're fantastic people i mean that's that's kind of over now now we got people that are posting uh, you know random instagram live videos or they're telling you about them like we have unprecedented uh, unprecedented access now and um you know rather than <laughs> use use that access to bash the people who would be who would be your customers so to speak yeah. Uh, maybe invite them in and just put out great work and don't treat them uh, don't treat them like jerks. Yeah, and uh, another comment from the Wild Turk. Hell, he's one of the Magellantes, so to speak. Uh, he says, listen to a Japanese band that had been around since 93. Had no idea. They're called, I'm probably mispronouncing this, Ninjinisu, uh, a metal band. So like, that's what I mean. Like, maybe yeah. the great art, is, yeah, there's going to be something. I always find good art years after the fact. Oh, mm -hmm. it came out in 2016. It was good, and 2016, I didn't know it existed. Well, you know, I think also two things. One, uh, just talking about Japanese music, there, there was a point, my, my last girlfriend was Japanese-American, and at one point I went yeah. this, I went down this rabbit hole where I just started listening to like just 80s R&B from Japan. I was like, yo, this shit is, this shit is dope. I'm like, in that rabbit hole. Shout out to, what's the channel? New J something? There's some channel that I'm always looking at has like this street. New J channel. It's like this, set, part of that is trying to sample stuff, but part of it is just listening to it. It's really good music. Like 70s, yeah. 80s, Japanese. There's just there's so much great stuff. But the, the second thing I was going to say is that uh, what I find that's really encouraging, actually, is when I go to older videos, you know, I mean, it could be a Bee Gees video or something, you know, some Mo some old Motown stuff. And you scroll down to the comments and you will see people who are like, you know, I'm 13 years old, I'm 14, I'm 15. And I wish our music today sounded like, sounded as good as, as this. And yeah. my, my point to that is that people... Again, people know good stuff when they hear it. It doesn't matter. And the thing about music, especially, you know, or art, especially, I said, but music in particular is that you don't have to have some kind of, you know, Ivy League degree to understand it. You, no. you either it's good to you and it moves you, or it doesn't. And it doesn't matter how old or young you are. You just you know when something is good when you hear it. And um, I think we need to kind of focus on doing the good stuff and um, and uh, finding more of that. And hopefully, maybe. The big, uh, the big hope is that in time the money will shift to where we have a bunch of independent artists who are who are stealing money away from uh, these these bigger studios and the big system, and uh, you know those dollars will be coming you know my way. They'll, they'll be going to Zuby's way. They'll be going to you know uh, yeah. to Tim Pool's way instead of going into uh, this this box office system. It's going to people who are creating stuff that people want. It's going to you know EVS or or your boy Zach or you know. All the other crowdfunding people, as opposed to um, this system that kind of it hates them. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, has created his own alternative system 
Asana, yes, you have given me underground rap recommendations. Shout out to uh, a lot of stuff you uh, recommended. But, man, this has been a really, really great show. I really appreciate your patience and being here You know, the entire time. It's actually a little longer than we normally go. So I thank you for being here. Um, anything you want to plug? I know I asked you that earlier. And I, I put your channel. Please, please subscribe to Clifton's channel and follow him on Twitter if you're not already. Uh, obviously, you're going to be on Friday Night Tights this week, right? Um, yeah, I no, I, I wasn't able to get off work, unfortunately. But hopefully, oh. yeah, yeah, I know. I hate it, man. Yeah. I, I love being with those guys; they're really great. But uh, yeah, that that was that was the plan uh, this uh, week. But, no, we gotta we gotta postpone it. I gotta gotta do the job job thing. But um, hopefully, uh, you know, if uh, people follow me, they they subscribe, and uh, I'll get my act together. My life is stabilizing out, out a little bit. Uh, uh, as we speak, so I'm getting a little, um, just you know, things are straightening out for me, so I can begin to uh, collect those super chats and and get that Patreon uh, money, so I can start um, doing great projects. And um, you know, I, I really want to get back to singing, um, yeah. especially and just uh, you know, because I, I really, I really do think that it's a cool um, sort of thing that we have now, where we can speak directly to people, and people will say like, "Hey, man." I'll give you a few bucks just because I, I appreciate what you're doing. And if you could do that on a massive scale, you might not get, you know, you, you might not be a millionaire, but at least I can say, you know what, there's something that I do. Like I say all the time, some people learn how to build houses. I learn how to build characters. That's my job. Yeah. And um, yeah. that's, you know, and I would, I would love to be uh, paid to, um, to just to, to just do that i don't want to have to like pontificate on the the matters of today in society I, I enjoy doing it but i would rather just be able to act and want to just act and sing and uh and make good money off of that <laughs> you yeah. know and just have it be an honest transaction where people say like hey man i like what you do so here's some money I'd be like thank you man thank you appreciate it i'll just keep doing it and that's yeah, all it really I mean has to be I would say do more, you know, do more live streams. Uh, Brightest Day, who's a, a smaller channel, who's I, I've helped, who's helped me. Uh, he says, how many watch hours do you need? I mean, like, there's people in this oh, audience who will like, why, all right, then you heard them. Watch, go to Clifton uh, Duncan's channel. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe and watch his videos. Watch them all. Rewatch them a hundred times uh, so you can get your watch hours and Doing live streams is a good way to build up watch. I mean, I'm still building up subs, but I think I'm pretty close with watch hours just because of talking crap in front of these wonderful people who, who've sent me super chats and have funded this. People do want to support you, and I mean, that's that's the dream is to just be a perfect, you know, which you've done uh, on a, a wide scale, but being a professional creative full time is, uh, you know, that's something that. I think for you, you're you're a very talented and, and well thought guy. I think that will happen sooner. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, we'll get uh, what's Clifton need. We'll get him there. We will get you there, and you'll get you there because you have a lot to say. Yeah, well, that, that that's the thing, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, what I need is to be disciplined enough to continue to to put out uh, to put out content on a regular basis that people will yeah. watch and engage with. That's what I need to do. Um, and then, and, and then, you know, we, we'll talk about everything else, uh, after that, but, you know, you, you got, I gotta, I can't give, um, I can't, I can't ask for something, uh, not putting out while, while putting out nothing. I have some great videos up right now, but, um, you know, obviously the, the goal is to do more and to expand on what I'm doing, um, in some really exciting ways, but, you know, I need money to do that, but, you know, it's, it's always a catch 22. Yeah. 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 
You will, man. You will. So we will get you there. We have a few new, a couple new subs, New Wild Turk. Oh, thank and you, that's the thank you I appreciate so it. Thank you guys for subbing. Check it out. I, I am going to check it out because I think uh, you know that's even as somebody who's not as well read on Shakespeare and a lot of classical uh, stuff, I, I am very interested in, in seeing your takes on it. And so, yeah, I I thank you again for for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for your insight. And again, thank you, everybody in the chat. Yeah, regular consistent content it is a challenge. It is a challenge. Um, and yeah, Agreed. once the ch- channel has subs, the community can and will take care of the watch hours if the word is put out. So please put the word out. Please like and share and subscribe, not just for you know my own selfish purposes to grow this channel, but for Clifton, because we got to get if we want good art, if we, we want to, we can only complain about The Last Jedi so much without supporting good artists and supporting creatives. So we have to um, support. And uh, Wake Down would have subbed, but he already was. Sub for a second account. Well, thank you, Wake Down. uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, So for the Wake Down, for Brightest Day, New Bomb Turk, Sentient Dildo, Islington Girl, Ron Martin, Rough Girl, One One Rough Girl, Draco Argentis, and Gomer Kyle, and Ogre Squasher 101, Comics Division, and anyone else in the chat, uh, please blame my head, not my heart. I really appreciate everybody for being here. And for Matt, who had to leave a little early um, at Five Ball Productions, please check out his channel, obviously. Sub, because if you, you like this greatness, it will be next week on Matt's channel. And I, I think we do have a guest lined up for next week as well. Uh, thank you again, Clifton. Um, you know, I'm going to actually play the alternate uh, outro for the wake down. It actually has a similar point about any girl ha- being able to just, you know, put a camera up her ass. And become a superstar. And so thank you all for watching. Uh, We will see you next week. Peace.